Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Hi, this is Steve. We take it as axiomatic that those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it. But sometimes that study means seeing things in the world, and even in ourselves, that we might prefer stay hidden. As a lieutenant in World War II, Stanley Kramer was among the first Americans to see film from the liberation of the Nazi concentration camps. Those images haunted him and deeply influenced the filmmaker he would become. You see, Kramer had a profound belief in the power of film to explore difficult issues like race, evolution, class, and war. Fifteen years after World War II, Kramer had become an incredibly successful producer and director. But those images he had seen of naked corpses, piles of suitcases, and showers designed to kill, not clean, still haunted him. He knew the easiest thing to do would be to simply dismiss the Holocaust as a monstrous act of pure evil. But he couldn't do that. Because the most frightening thing for Stanley Kramer was the possibility that at their core, the German people were just like us. And so in 1961, Kramer assembled an all-star cast to ask two simple questions. How did ordinary, even moral people allow this to happen? And what responsibility did those people have for some of the greatest criminal acts in history? With a cast that includes Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, Richard Whitmark, Maximilian Schell, Judy Garland, Montgomery Clift, Marlena Dietrich, and even a young William Shatner, Judgment at Nuremberg is a powerful, thought-provoking, and in my opinion, very important film for everyone to watch and to think about. Now, I don't know whether or not those that fail to study history are doomed to repeat it, but I do believe that we cannot turn our eyes away from the terrible things we, as humans, are capable of. Because, in many ways, the most terrifying thing about Judgment at Nuremberg is not the horror of the crimes, but the fact that the people who committed those crimes seem all too familiar. So, we hope you'll join us for Judgment at Nuremberg this Friday on The Cinephiles. A decision must be made in the life of every nation at the very moment when the grasp of the enemy is at its throat, then it seems that the only way to survive is to use the means of the enemy, to rest survival upon what is expedient, to look the other way. Well, the, the answer to that is survival as what? A country isn't a rock. It's not an extension of oneself. It's what it stands for. It's what it stands for when standing for something is the most difficult. Before the people of the world, let it now be noted that here in our decision, this is what we stand for. Justice, truth, and the value of a single human being.
Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Oh, hi. This is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, host, blah, 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 everything here in Los Angeles. Uh, And Steve, I want to commend you on the movie clip that you played at the beginning of this episode, because you always play great movie <laughs> clips, so I'm just going to assume you played a fantastic movie clip, a, a clip from the movie wow. before the episode starts. So, so just so you all know, I have no idea what movie clip that is. It, now there's some pressure. You've never let me down before. I looked really hard to find this one. I felt it's the perfect one to encapsulate <laughs> the feeling of this film and launch you into this episode, yes. so I'm really glad you liked it. And speaking of the film, the film we're talking about today is one of, I know, your all-time favorites yeah. is Judgment of Nuremberg, and I would tell you who stars in it, but the list is so long. Yeah. It's I mean, distinguished. Long it is and a distinguished. serious, serious cast. Yeah. So do you remember how you first oh, came to the film? Oh, sure. Um, it was something that I absolutely... Like, I had seen it on TCM or something like that. Like, I'd seen... And I was like, oh, this is a three-hour thing. And I'm a massive fan of World War II movies and courtroom dramas. Like, I'm just a big right. fan of courtroom dramas. So when you combine the two... I was super excited, and then when you put in Spencer Tracy, Montgomery Cliff, Judy Garland, Max, a young Maximilian Schell, William Shatner, uh, Richard Whitmark, Richard, Richard Whitmark, uh, so many incredible actors. Did you say Burt Lancaster? I did not. Burt Lancaster, Marlena yeah. Dietrich, and uh, what's his face from the Hogan's Heroes? Colonel Clink. Werner Klemper. Oh, Werner Klemper. Yeah, Werner Klemper. Not Colonel Klink, but yeah, Werner Klemper. It is yeah. Colonel Klink. Yeah. He is Colonel Klink. Okay, Colonel Klink. Who is the other guy? Schultz. 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 Sergeant anyway. Schultz. Anyway, so for me, this was something I think I discovered back in the early early 2000s and it's a film that i have seen numerous numerous times since then um and it's one i cannot resist if i'm flipping channels and i know it's a three-hour film so it's a commitment but i cannot resist it when it's on yeah well for me yes steve what was your first experience with this it was last week what really i'd never seen it before For the first time yeah and listen i want to say this in the least offensive way possible but you're jewish that's right i would think this would be something you'd want to see or was like something that was shown to you as a young child growing up it's funny i was was thinking about this quite a bit yeah is that and and i i don't quite know how to explain it so when i was a kid i went to a reformed temple in san francisco temple Mm -hmm. emmanuel went to sunday school every week and that was everything from learning how to make bagels and singing jewish songs and doing Jewish dances to being what I will call pretty fairly indoctrinated into a certain kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of those things was watching Holocaust films Mm -hmm. like the ones that are in the middle of this film, the real footage when I was maybe nine years old. Why? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And there was a lot of, and I met people that had numbers tattooed Mm -hmm. on their arms Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of talk about the Holocaust and a lot of remembering the Holocaust and, I never watched Holocaust films. Oh, really? You know, and it's funny. Like, I don't want to say like I was traumatized because mm-hmm. I don't feel like I was traumatized. Well, nine years old. But I didn't seek it out, mm-hmm. you know. And so what's interesting is when uh, I first really met the woman who's going to be my wife, mm-hmm. she had almost the opposite experience. She's Catholic, grew up in New Jersey. And although she had heard of the Holocaust, right. she hadn't been indoctrinated mm-hmm. the way that I was. Right. And so when she got to high school and then in college and suddenly she really started to find out what it really was she became really obsessed with it to the point where her 
thesis project in theater in college was doing a play about the Holocaust that she took as this collage that she created herself um, that was of all these different source materials to tell different stories mm-hmm. from the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly she was like, here, help me with this. Yeah. And I was kind of like, no, I don't really want to. <laughs> no. You know, and I did, of course, I did help her with this because right, right, right. Uh, I was in love with her for one thing. Well, there you and go. I've certainly, I've seen Schindler's List. I've seen... Have you seen Shoah? I've seen, uh, yeah, I've seen Shoah. Show I've seen, I mean, I've seen a lot of it, yeah. but I never sought it out. Okay. And so this is a movie where, of course, I always knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And being a huge Star Trek fan, you know, I always knew yeah, that Shatner was in course. the movie. And this is definitely a movie, I think, that in, you know, we've talked about there was a time when you and I both lied about having seen movies. I'm sure I lied about having <laughs> seen this one. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. You know, but then it just, and then it just kind of never came up. And yeah. so, and I knew it was one of your favorites. So I kept going like, well, I'm going to watch it. And so then when you brought it up a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know it was three hours. Oh, wow. And, and I knew who the cast was. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot about the movie. I'd seen clips from the movie, mm-hmm. but I wasn't until last week that I sat down and watched it. So wow. this is all sort of fresh for me. That's incredible. I am so happy to hear that, that this, that the podcast motivated, like, cause people always tweeted us or, or send us messages like right. your, your podcast inspired me to watch the film or rewatch the film with your commentary. So to hear that this is something that inspired you to watch it, it's really, it's just a great, uh, uh, I don't know, indirect result of this. It's such a great, good thing that could happen out of well, this podcast. One of, I mean, honestly, one of the great things about this podcast is like, I've had several film schools now in my life. Uh-huh. You know, I had film school and I went to film school right. and then I had after film school where I did that DVD job and so I watched movies over and over again. Right. And then there was this moment where I went, oh, I haven't seen all this stuff and so I went, I'm going to watch every John Ford movie, every Fritz oh, yeah. Lang movie, every Howard Hawks movie. And then when I started teaching film school, that was really like going to film school because there's a difference between learning stuff and figuring out how to articulate it. Mm-hmm. So I had to study again and doing this podcast, this has been film school. Yeah. You know, because every week I have to study a new film and right. I've had to expand my horizons. And so, you know, it's great to be able to add a whole new film and what a film yeah. to that list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, where this movie comes from, which is it starts with a television show Mm -hmm. with Playhouse 90. And the original Playhouse 90 has two of the actors that are actually in this, which is Werner Klemperer is in it and Maximilian Schell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And two actors that are not, the leads are Claude Rains and Melvin Douglas. Wow. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen Claude Rains do the Spencer Tracy part. Yeah. Man. Okay. I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know which way it's cast. Oh. I don't know if it's Melvin Douglas as Spencer Tracy and Claude. Could be Claude Rains as Burt Lancaster. Could be, right? I don't. I I, I, I should have checked it. Yeah. Claude Rains could probably. Yeah, okay. I'm two great actors. And it was directed by George Roy Hill. Oh, okay. Yeah. From uh, what, uh, from George Roy Hill is is the Sting right? Didn't Sting, he Sting and Butch Cassidy and Sundance yeah. Kid. Yeah. yeah, and he was a TV director. He's one of those guys like Sidney Lumet, you know, mm-hmm. all those guys that started off as TV directors. Right. And Catherine Hepburn saw the TV program and loved it, and she brought it to Spencer Tracy. Wow. And Spencer Tracy said, "Well, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this with Stanley Kramer, who I've had this long association. You know, they did six really powerful films mm-hmm. with each other, and that's how this comes about. Oh, that's great. Yeah." And Stanley Kramer is one of these people they don't talk about enough. Yeah. His his directing a resume and his ability to direct a film is incredible. And to do a three-hour film and keep people's interest is incredibly difficult. And this film really does. Well, and, and he's one of these people who 
he was interested in issues. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at from, uh, I mean, first of all, he started. Uh, he was in World War II. He started, went to Hollywood mm-hmm. to work there, and then that's when World War II broke out. Mm-hmm. And he ended up in the Single Corps, working with Frank Capra, wow. making films uh, for the Army. Right. And then comes out of the Army and became a producer before he was a director, mm-hmm. and produced a bunch of films, including one that we've already talked about. Yeah. Twelve Angry Men, right? No, he didn't. No. Pr- he didn't produce that. No, oh. I don't think so. Okay, he produced High Noon. High Noon, right? Yeah. Great, he produced film. High Noon, yeah. and then uh, and then I think one of his first two movies as a director yeah. is The Defiant Ones, right? The Defiant Ones, and this is the thing that you're going to see from Stanley Kramer. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kramer wants to talk about issues, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons I think Stanley Kramer wants to talk about issues is those films from the Holocaust that we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. He saw them. When he was a lieutenant in the army. Wow. And it had a profound effect on him. Steve, I can't recommend this Netflix show enough to you. Five came back. It's fantastic. Right? Have you watched it? Okay, okay, good. Because you get real indoctrinated into what they experienced there in World War II and what they were able to do with their film work. It's just amazing. Yeah. And and Stanley Kramer, you know, he goes on to do... He also, by the way, he produced Champion, Mm. which is the first big Kirk Douglas movie. Mm -hmm. He produced... The Men, which is Brando's debut wow. on film. So obviously he had an eye for uh-huh. uh, talent. Sure. Directed The Defiant Ones, which is Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. Yeah. Again, about issues. And then this association with Spencer Tracy, including mm-hmm. Inherit the Wind, which... Which I love. I, I do, too. I, it's, exactly. It's a trial movie. It is. I watched it maybe three or four years ago, and I, I didn't love it as much... As I did the first time. But once again, I'm an addict to these things when they're and I, Gene Kelly is like sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. in that movie. Unfortunately, because Steve, because I mean, Gene could could act, but he sticks out like, like a sore yeah. thumb in this movie because everyone else is taking it really seriously. And if you haven't seen it, it's one of Frederick March's in, most incredible performances. He's great on this side of the best years of our lives. And then uh, Spencer Tracy, just amazing as Daryl Clarence Darrow. Well, it has exactly what we like in this film, which yeah. is that we're going to deal with ideas. Yes, and we're going to deal with them in a way that's going to be not easy yeah you know it's not like there's some trial films which is we're going to find the bad guy mm-hmm. and that bad guy is the bad guy and yeah. there's some trial films which the purpose of them is to make you think yeah and that's what this is and those are my favorite the complexity the complex ones yeah well that's why you love 12 angry men yes true yeah very is that you want that thought process yeah. um and uh he does it's a mad 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 world one of my favorite comedies ever I've spencer never, tracy I, again I, i've actually never seen it what yeah we are doing that for yeah. the cinephiles i mean i think i've seen big oh. hunks of it but you got to see ago. it all. It's an all-star yeah. comedy. I know film. what it is. It's, yeah. it's got a Criterion edition. It's that damn good. So yeah, it's a great. Film. I love that for you. The Criterion is that's the stamp of approval. Of course it is. <laughs> those are just some dudes that run a company. No, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Every one, every one of those films are elite. You know what? Elite. Someday people will say it's on a cinephiles. <laughs> it must be good. Let us hope so. Um, and then, uh, of course, his final film and Spencer Tracy's final film, as well as one we haven't done on the show, but we certainly talked about a bunch, which is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Right. It's the same thing. So we're going to deal with an issue. Mm-hmm. We're going to jump into it, and we're going to deal with it a big way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many stars in this film mm-hmm. that we're not going to give backgrounds on all of them. No, it's no, take, no, no, It's a three-hour movie. It's going to take yeah, a long time. Yeah. But I feel like we should take a little bit of time for Spencer Tracy. Sure. Um, he is so. When I was in film school, one of my teachers was Eddie Dimitric, okay. and Eddie Dimitric is one of the. He was one of the Hollywood Ten. He was a great oh, Golden wow. Age director. He directed Kane Mutiny. Directed Bogart, and uh, he directed uh, Brando. He directed Marilyn Monroe, and he wow. and Spencer Tracy was his favorite actor. Now, when I he was my teacher, he was like ninety six, and he wasn't <laughs> entirely all there. Um, but he said that Spencer Tracy was by far the greatest actor of all time. Wow! And I hear this a lot. What's interesting when you watch Spencer Tracy, he's not doing anything. Yeah. 
And what he said, he, the famous quote from him is someone says, uh, you know, to him, oh, I want Mr. Tracy, I want to be an actor. And he said, well, don't ever let anyone catch you at it. That's a great quote. Yeah. Is that his whole thing was to do almost nothing. Yeah. You know, is that he, he might be the best listener of any actor I've ever seen and the best reactor. Oh, that's a great point. I mean, when you watch the older films that he was in, like Boys Town and uh, I think San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. He's more, he's a little more reactionary. But you, I think that's him figuring it out still. Yeah. And then he becomes what you're talking about as he progresses through his career and really embraces it in the latter half of his career. So much so because he has this um, undeniable warmth yeah. and, uh, for lack of a better term, gravitas that yeah. attracts you and keeps you riveted to what he's doing. And like, you're always you're always a, one second away from a tear with him like in, as you're watching him, right. you know, because he just really conveys this lived in... In, I always consider him America. In my mind, when I see Absolutely. him, it's the country of America in one human being, like in terms of the years and everything like that. Yeah. And he has a wisdom yes. and a humbleness, mm. and he cogitates, yes. and he contemplates, and he's warm, as yes. you said, and he's just real. Yeah, It's just like... This is a guy who's really going through what this is. I think that's the number one thing, Steve. Real. Yeah. I think that's right. It's just real. Um, should we get in the movie? Sure. Let's do it. We open with German music. Yes. And a building and a swastika. Mm-hmm. And we watch that for a while. Uh-huh. And then the swastika blows, blows up. up. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a pretty good opening. <laughs> it's almost like a James Bond opening without yeah. having all the action around. It's just boom. Now we got your attention. Yeah, and it tells you this is where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go into scene post-war Nuremberg. Mm-hmm. And that's the real footage. Those are the real destroyed buildings. Yeah. And it is shocking to see um, yeah. you know, what, what has actually happened there. And we arrive with Spencer Tracy in a car, and he's looking at the destruction. He says, I didn't know it was so bad. Mm. Which I think is what all of us would say right. when we see that moment. Well, because at that time we don't have, like we had in Vietnam, where we had film directors shooting footage of battle so that we had it all yeah. uh, broadcast to our TVs at home. Back then, all it was was pictures or yeah. news articles. And you, there's nothing on the written word, on the written page rather, that will take the place of you going and viscerally seeing devastation yeah. and heartache. Absolutely true. Um, he arrives at the mansion, and there we meet William Shatner. Yes. Captain, Captain Byers, this is Judge Haywood. Byers here will be your aide. My what? Clerk, general guide, liaison, any capacity you wish to use me. So I have to say, because I hadn't seen this, I'd seen clips, but I hadn't seen this before. Man, if he didn't, if he didn't become Captain Kirk, he's a star. He is a star. The charisma, good-looking good charisma yeah. coming off that guy. He's Swagger. charming. He just shines in every moment. Yeah. And maybe I'm biased because I'm such a Star Trek guy, but man, he seems like a star. But you see the Kirk, oh, right? Yeah. It's oh, there. That's swagger, that's confidence, that's smirk. It's all there. Yeah. Tracy meets the staff. Already you can see he's a bit, he's uncomfortable. They give yes. him a tour of the mansion. And uh, you can see he doesn't really want this. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, yeah. a lot of hullabaloo for a guy who doesn't like to have any hullabaloo. Yeah around what he does, you know? Well, and particularly if you've just seen the devastation yeah. of the city and you're like, wait, why, why do I have to have this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's just, he just wants to be a judge. He doesn't want to be called sir. He right. wants to be like, I'm just a judge. And you get that sort of Spencer Tracy, yes. I'm plain folk, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. But I also think it's symbolic because the Germans after the war was over, the ones that had cited or had done the stuff or were part of this Nazi and felt, a movement and felt guilty 
overdid it in making it up to people who came to visit and be like, you know, we see throughout the movie Marlena Dietrich trying to constantly say, we didn't know, we didn't know, you know, do you think we would have done these things? You think It's always trying to overcome or overcompensate for what they've done. And this is a natural human reaction. And so to me, that's what I see when I'm seeing all that at the beginning. Well, and the hard thing is, is it overcompensating or is it just compensating? Oh, possibly. You sure. know, because, what we, you know, it's like, what what has been revealed to all these people yeah. and what some of them may or may not have known about, mm-hmm. and this is what we're going to get into the film, yeah. is the Holocaust. Yeah. And so now this man who is there to judge Germany, essentially, yeah, essentially has yeah. come into the house. Mm-hmm. How do you behave in front of that person? That's hard. Right. And he tries to put them at their ease. He does. Uh, and we sort of find out, we get some exposition that that the big trials already happened mm-hmm. is that we've already tried, you know, Hitler and Himmler and all those guys killed themselves. And then the Goering and Hess and yeah. some of the other guys were on the first big Nuremberg trial and that's done. Yeah. And I think the choice not to do that movie is very smart. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that because that's not what this is about. That's an easy one to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Spencer Tracy's speech at the end says mm-hmm. that would be easy. Right. You know, but this is now we're going to do the hard stuff, which is like the middle managements, mm-hmm. the doctors and the lawyers and the judges. And Spencer Tracy is particularly interested in the judges. That's something he says. Yeah. And I think that's a very smart filmmaking choice. So let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah. Because we are going to sit in judgment. We, the audience. Yeah. We're going to be judges now. Right. And we're going to judge judges. And we're going to judge judgment. Mm-hmm. And we're going to judge what is justice. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot that we're setting up to get into. Absolutely. We move into the first tribunal, the first, the first scene in the court. Um, and they actually, by the way, wanted to shoot in the actual Nuremberg court in Nuremberg. Oh but that's a court that's working every day. <laughs> so they couldn't do it. So they go over and they measure every chair, every detail, photograph, every piece of furniture and reconstruct it exactly in Hollywood. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. All the exterior shots, that actually is shot in Nuremberg. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But the court, they just rebuild it entirely. That's amazing because it feels very authentic. Yeah. We see the prisoners enter. Mm-hmm. We see the judges enter. We see, this is a really smart thing that they do, is the translation. Yeah. Is they show you very clearly, this is the mechanism, how this works. And right. then later on, we're going to get past it. Right. Um, but they show you that we have to wait for translation. These lights that light up. Mm-hmm. People have headphones on and they're waiting and listening and then they're speaking. Yeah. It's very, very smart. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Good filmmaking. Uh, we meet, we meet, start meeting our defendants. And, Kern, and, of course, when he walked out, Colonel Klink, I went, oh, it's Frederick Kirkland. Because I watched Hogan's Heroes all the time. Of course. Kid. And I did look in very quickly because I thought this was true, which is that yeah. he is Jewish. Yes. His father's Jewish. They escaped the Nazis in 1935. Yeah. Came to L.A. His father was Otter Klemperer, who was the conductor of the L.A. Philharmonic. Wow. Yeah. And, and Werner went and studied acting at the Pasadena Playhouse and acted in all this stuff. And it's just interesting to me that this guy of Jewish descent whose family fled the Nazis is going to spend a lifetime playing Nazis. Hey, got to pay the bills, you know. But but it's an iconic thing because what he does with Hogan's Heroes is he makes fun of that, you know, and I think that helps a lot. Um, But what he does here is obviously a lot more darker. It's really dark. Yeah. It's really dark. Um, We have a couple of other defendants and then there is... Burt Lancaster. Oh, man. So I really like Burt Lancaster a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure we'll give biographical information on him on other movies sure. down the line. But watching this, man, maybe this is his best performance. This is, uh, well, and I was watching it again like a couple of weeks ago. It is essentially Moonlight Graham 
30 years before. Like he, what he does is Moulin Graham in Field of Dreams, that kind of portrayal, that kind of delivery is there already way back when in Judgment at Nuremberg. And I don't mean in the in terms of the nicety or that he's a good guy. Right. I just mean that the movement and the pace and the because he's only in his 40s when he's doing right. this part of this older judge. But you can feel the weight of the world on his shoulders. And the same thing with Spencer Tracy. He also is listening, observing, yeah. watching, because he is such a powerful presence. He does not need to do much. Well, and you think about how they pitched this to Burt Lancaster. Yeah. yeah. We're, you're going to come in and do this part, yeah. and you're going to have to be there yeah. for a long, long time. It's not like you're flying in, doing three days, and leaving. Right. You're going to be there a lot, and you are going to sit in silence and react mm-hmm. and watch. And then you're going to knock the doors off down the line. <sighs> but, but mostly his silent powerful sad complicated as you say the weight of the world his presence throughout this is amazing well his journey as a character is amazing for us to watch too yeah because we can't help but and that's brilliant casting we can't help but feel sympathy for Burt Lancaster because as American audiences, we're used to seeing him as the hero in numerous films. Yeah. And so to cast him as this person, we immediately go to this place of like, I want to forgive him. I want to forgive him because I don't see him handing out the sentences. And then later when you hear about what he did, and then he has this fantastic speech and he goes up against Maximilian uh, Schell later on and then tries in the last scene with Spencer Tracy yeah. to almost worm his way out of it there in that moment, it's, you, are, you almost feel guilty for having felt warmth for him or wanted to forgive him. And that's powerful, man. Well, and I think what that's you a, say... takes a great actor. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what you say is so important, which is that... And, and I think this is true of Maximilian Schell, which is that the heavy lifting this movie has to do is have you feel warmth for them. Yes. Because everything... This, isn't, this is a... movie takes place in 46. Mm-hmm. The movie is made in 61. Is That's not long after the war. Mm-hmm. And the basic feeling about Nazis is they're the bad guys. Right. And so the, this movie has to make you feel something for mm-hmm. them first. Yep. If it doesn't, the, you're not going to engage in the really complex moral dilemma that the movie's going to present. Absolutely. You're not going to be able to. It, that's why you need someone like Burling has to anchor those guys. Yeah. And right now we meet Maximilian Schell, yes. and this is his first real film. Yeah. And, he, uh, and he's from Austria, by the way. Um, and his... The first thing we find out is that Ernst Janning, which is the Burt Lancaster character, mm-hmm. doesn't want him. No. Doesn't want him. He doesn't want a lawyer to represent right. him. He wants, yeah. to just, he wants to take the hits and be... Because he feels guilty for what he's done. He knows that what he did was wrong. And so he wants. He does not want someone to step in and defend him and getting a, get him a lesser sentence because he's a judge. He knows. He knows what he did. And that's... He almost just wants to throw himself at the mercy of the court and have whatever happen happen. He says something you probably remember better than I do, but he says something like, I don't recognize your right to judge me. Doesn't he say something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm kind of not sure where he is. Yeah, initially. You know? Right. We don't... Which maybe that's just trying to set up some mystery for it, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Richard Widmark, who's our prosecutor. And I would say it's the opposite. In general, you don't like him. No, Richard Widmark almost always plays villains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, here we have the Americans were working hard to have you not like the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of working hard to have you like the Germans. And that's setting up some of this. But I love Widmark's character, too, because he is prone to these bursts, outbursts. He's prone to drunkenness. He's prone to. So he's not this like angelic, good guy creature. He has his faults as well. And his zealousness. His zealous to to get these people convicted at times overwhelms you because yeah. you start to fudge the lines between good and evil 
in how he's behaving at times. I never think he veers into evil, but his desire to get them punished is almost matched by what we hear these judges did or these doctors did themselves in their zealous pursuit to be accepted in Nazi Germany. Well, I think this is one of the questions of the film. Yeah. Is, is there a point at which you should throw off the rules of justice and the law in order to get the bad guys? Mm-hmm. Or is, or is it more important to always obey the rule of the law, mm. knowing that that means some people could go free? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're certainly going to wrestle with that. Yep. Because when Richard Widmark, when I think his name's Lawson, Colonel yeah, Lawson, Lawson, Colonel Lawson, when he, he gives his first opening statement, it's pretty brutal. It is. They share with all the leaders of the Third Reich responsibility for the most malignant, the most calculated, the most devastating crimes in the history of all mankind. Well, that's why he's a great choice as an as a actor for this part, because you, you want to feel both sides of it with him, you know? And then it's time for Maximilian Schell. Yeah. And he shines, and we should say he's going to win the Oscar for this. Yes, as uh, damn well he should. And this is his first movie. Mm-hmm. And That's insane to do, win it on Do you know who movie. wanted to play this part? Actually, I shouldn't say that. It might Ooh, not be his first movie. Okay. It's his first big movie. Right. Absolutely his first big movie. But still to win it. Yeah. Uh, no. Brando. Oh, no, no, it would not have worked. I'm sorry, it would not have worked. Can you imagine you're Stanley Kramer's 1961? Yeah. Brando is as big a star as you could possibly coming, have. Coming off a streetcar, coming off of On the Waterfront, yeah. And he comes and says, I want to play this part, and you say, no, I'm going to cast this guy who's on the TV show. Mm. That's some that's some huevos. <laughs> but it's also knowing what works. Like you mentioned earlier, Stanley Kramer knows talent when he sees it. And he knows Brando. He gave Brando his first shot in the men, right? So he yep. knows that's what to use point. him. Right? He knows when to use him, when not to use him. He knows he's not the right. Because Brando will overshadow Burt Lancaster. He will overshadow these judges. Maximilian Schell is earnest. He is driven. He wants to defend. And because he's Austrian, the accent is already there. Brando's history of accents isn't the most, you know, the best history of accents. So to see what Maximilian Schell does with this, because he's so skinnier, so much skinnier and so much more like an underdog, that helps the movie as well. And Brando's powerful. Yes. I mean, it's not that he doesn't That's have vulnerability. Thing. He does. But what Michelle does, and what Shell does is amazing. He mm-hmm. starts off and you can see his nervousness. Yes. Like you can see the weight of what he's about to mm-hmm. do coming on. And then you see him um, say, you know, this is, this is a tough job. Yeah. The gesamte zivilisierte Welt, the entire civilized world, wird diesem Prozess folgen. Will follow closely what we do here. Then this is kein gewöhnlicher Prozess. For this is not an ordinary trial. By any means of the accepted parochial sense. The civilized world will follow what we do here. Mm-hmm. That's how big this is. Well, he's trying to put the guilt or the, the, the weight of it on the judges to yeah. ask essentially for mercy to, by saying, like, the, you will influence people to be uh, prejudiced or biased against Germans, against people, right. you know, by, if you impose too harsh of a sentence. And there's this moment, he's speaking German, and we're yeah. hearing the translation, yeah. and the camera zooms it's in. It's a great technique. And then suddenly we hear it in English. Yes. Rather than the visiting of retribution on a few men, it is dedicated to the reconsecration of the Temple of Justice. And I always loved it in Hunt for Red October, where they do almost exactly the technique. And I thought, man, John McTiernan, this, he invented this great way of switching <laughs> translation. And of course, I never knew it was from Judgment Nurburg. Nurburg. Yeah. yeah. And we go into English. How great. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game 
Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Um, and, and it's funny, like this idea, because it's one that we uh, can face today and continue mm-hmm. to face, mm-hmm. of how do you treat the fallen enemy? Mm-hmm. You know, Lincoln wanted to be, to forgive the South. Basically, yeah, that's where Reconstruction was all about. Well, it wasn't because he was assassinated, and then and then Johnson right. and the and the radical Republicans they didn't want to forgive the South at all. Yeah, you know, and some people say the reason that there is to this day conflict between the North and the South of the United States was because if Lincoln hadn't been killed, things might have gone better. Or, Way to go, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot, dude. And then, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela, his philosophy yeah. was truth and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. We're going to say the truth. There's going to be an apology. And we're going to forget about it. Yeah, And you don't hear the same stories coming out of South Africa that nope. you've heard from our history because of Lincoln's assassination. Mandela stayed alive. What? And he dragged that country into forgiveness, including divorcing his wife who did not want to follow his yeah. his idea of forgiveness and reconciliation yeah yeah uh, uh maximilian shell quotes oliver wendell holmes a famous supreme court justice yes. who he's going to quote later in a not so nice way <laughs> um and then he starts to talk about ernst janning burt lancaster mm-hmm. and he's building this guy up to be kind of a hero you know of course if you were going to choose any one of those people to build up, it's going to be Ernst Yanning. Yeah, which I got to feel like if I'm one of those other defendants, I'd be going like, hey, <laughs> hold on. Aren't you supposed to be defending all of us? Yeah, but clearly, you know, they're a little indefensible at times. Yeah, and he, and he talks about, basically sets up that this was a great judge. This is a man who believed in justice, believed in the democratic process, believed in the law, right. and that he was a really important man. And that what do you do when the country goes a certain way? Your job is to follow the law. And if the law says to do this, are you supposed to fight against the law? That's right. not what a judge is supposed to do. A judge does not make the laws. He carries out the laws of his country. The statement, my country, right or wrong, was expressed by a great American patriot. It is no less true for a German patriot. You know, you get into this idea of 
my country right or wrong? Well, what do we hear all the time with these activist judges, these activist judges? We hear that phrase all yep. the time over the last few years. This is essentially not an activist judge because he follows along with whatever the policy is and against his better judgment. And that's where it is. And it's a great thing that he builds up uh, yawning this way because it, it causes you as the viewer to be like, well, yeah, can my whole life, if I've done all these good things in my life, can I be judged for only two years of my life or three years of my life where I had to do this? And I hid behind the idea that it was because the government told me that I had to, and I had to stay alive, self-preservation. Maybe I had no other option, those kinds of things. And so what's the, how do you balance the scales of justice in that? Yeah. Yeah, this is what we're going to spend a movie yeah. figuring out. Exactly. There's a uh, there's a great quote I love that applies to this. It's just from uh, Patrick O'Brien, who wrote all the Aubrey Maturin, mm -hmm. Master and Commander books, my favorite books of all time. Yeah. Um, which I've thought about. I wanted to do that movie, except that I, I, I might be too big for me because I <laughs> well because I've read the twenty books over and over. Again, Fair enough. That's a lot. But the quote is that it, th that often people put it between two choices. My country is always right, which is infantile. Yes. Or my country right or wrong, which is infamous. Oh, nice. I and like that. That. Is, that is a good quote. That is a powerful quote. I like it that. It certainly applies to this. Yeah. Um, and then he, Maximilian Schell wraps up with, it's not only Ernst <laughs> Janning that is on trial here, it is the German people. Yeah. And that is the end of that first tribunal. Mm -hmm. So we set up quite a, quite a conflict here. Yeah. Yeah. And we go into the judges' quarters, and we kind of meet here a little bit about the judges. And But Tracy is really interested in this Ernst Janning guy mm -hmm. and wants to see his writings and his books and find out he needs to learn stuff. And right. already we kind of like the Spencer Tracy guy. Of course. Yeah. If he's going to pass a judgment, you want your judge to look at everything, all the evidence. And so he can make a very informed decision. Right. Uh, he decides to go out for a walk. Um, and again, we see more of the German world. Mm -hmm. it's a very strange moment where he's getting some food from a food vendor and there's a woman there. <laughs> yeah. And you're going, is she flirting with him? Is she a prostitute? And then, But then she says, bye, Grandpa, or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. right, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And he walks through where the Nuremberg rallies were held. Yeah. And this is where I'm pretty sure Indiana Jones got his uh, book, book signed, signed. By, by Hitler. <laughs> Um, obviously, this is a site of one of the most important moments in the Nazi regime, mm -hmm. the Nuremberg rallies. This is where it really, they launch into what they are going to be. And is this where Triumph of the Will is shot, these Nuremberg rallies yeah. that Lena Re Lenny Reffenstahl yep, shoots? That's what this is. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, and the thing we had to say, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things we had to say about the Nazis, and yeah. one of them is they knew how to stage a show. Yeah, Lord, didn't they? Yeah. They had, a, they had a good sense of style. They understood. Yeah. And un it's unfortunate truth, but they understood how to rally people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's this moment where he's standing there in the empty place and he looks up to where Hitler was speaking from and hears the voice of Hitler. I don't think any other actor does this as well as Spencer Tracy does. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we go to Maximilian and Burt Lancaster. Yeah. Um, and. And there's just this moment of saying, I took the case to represent you, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to do it with dignity and it's really important and we've we got to deal with some of these things and that basically he's a fan. Yeah. He loves Yanning. Right. And, and, and uh, Yanning allows himself to be taken up by uh, Maximilian Schell because Maximilian Schell's desire uh, and uh, uh, love for him allows him to put down his walls and let him represent him. It's a cautious representation. It's pretty cold, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's not a lot. He no. didn't give him a lot. No, but he doesn't say no. He doesn't and say no. And that's enough for him, yeah. 
Yeah. We're back in the back in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first person to take the stand is this professor. It's basically Burt Lancaster's mentor. Yeah. Um, and he first starts with saying that, you know, Yawning has this great intelligence, great legal mind. Um, and this is also, by the way, where I start to really notice the camera moves. Hmm. And this is the one thing I don't think I love about the film. Okay. Is that there's two kinds, basically two, there are a lot of kinds of camera moves, but there are two different categories. Mm-hmm. And one is what we call motivated and unmotivated. Okay. And what a motivated camera move is that if you were to get up and walk over and grab a something to drink and walk back and the camera moved with you, yeah. that's motivated. Right. Because your action made the camera move. Yeah. If I suddenly look to the right and the camera whip panned over the right, that's a motivated camera move because yeah. my look brought the camera move. Right. If you and I are having a conversation, the camera leaves us, goes into the other room and zooms in on you know a toaster, right. that would be unmotivated. That And what unmotivated camera moves make you aware of the camera. Right. And there's nothing wrong with them. And there's lots, like Quentin Tarantino loves unmotivated camera oh, yeah. moves, really big on, and that's fine. This movie has a lot of them mm-hmm. and they're very conscious. I'm very aware of these horizontal camera moves. I'm very well of the use of the zoom, mm. very aware of like the framing. It really, really is noticeable. Yeah. So, but this is because you are a director, so you sure. know these things to use. And I'm not, you know, denigrating you feeling this way. I about feel it. denigrated. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like when I talk to Matt Nost about comedy. Matt hates Matt almost. He hates almost all comedies because he can see the beats coming because he's a comedian, right? And it frustrates him because he really wants to love comedies and the ones that bust through that. And get to him, he really adores because of that. So it's probably the same situation with you, Steve. You can see these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious what other people might think about mm. it, if it's noticeable now that I've said it. It never bothers know. me. Yeah. But I could uh, totally understand why it worked yeah. for you. It doesn't bother me. It's just like, oh, that was a little, I'm noticing. I'm just oh, noticing it's it. Noticeable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in the movie. Right. And what they kind of explain is that the judges were independent before the Nazis, very yes. much like our judges. Yeah. And then after the Nazis... That came, they became sort of subject to the protection of the Nazi regime. Right. Um, and that things had to change. Um, and that they eliminated the appeal process. Mm-hmm. They eliminated the Supreme Court, or they replaced the Supreme Court. And suddenly race was made a legal concept for the first time. Hmm. Um, and that's, hmm, yeah, <laughs> indeed. How interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then what Spencer Tracy interrupts, because he has this ability and says, well, did the judiciary protest? Right. Did the judges protest? This is really one of the key questions. Did you say no? Yeah. You know. Did you at least try to say no? Yeah. But that's this is also another question, Steve, too, is like not everybody could flee. Not everybody could leave, right? If you were going to stay, are you? can you – and you have to ask yourself, those of you listening to us right now, ask yourself, would you sacrifice your life in this situation? Would you sacrifice the lives of your kids, the lives of your family – or would you go along just to survive, just to endure, just to fool yourself that there's a way out of this? I don't know. And well, and I think that's I, what's fascinating I think about there's, the movie. There's, there's an additional question that's maybe even more difficult yeah. because it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water. Is that when things are changing slowly over yeah, time, yeah. you know, and you see one thing happen and you go, well, maybe that's not so bad. You know, do I want to lose my career over mm-hmm. just that? Ah, it will go back to the normal thing soon. Yeah. You know, and then another one and then another one. And now and, and because at the beginning, I don't think they knew they would could get killed. Right. And they probably couldn't. But three years in, they could. Yeah. Because and by that time, things had changed so much. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, that it, it's because you have to remember, like the Nazis take power in 1933. 
And they invade Czechoslovakia, I think, in 1939. Mm -hmm. That's six years. Right. That's not a lot of time. Yeah. It happens really quickly, the change. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we get to the cross-examination. Yeah. You know, this guy, this guy has pretty much said that he let the Nazis do everything they wanted. And in comes Maximilian Schell. And this is what you want in a good trial thing is that you're with this guy 100%. Mm -hmm. And then you listen to uh, Herr Rolf, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, Herr Rolf, yeah. Uh, and... By the end of it, you're kind of like, man, that guy made some good points. <laughs> did you ever swear to the civil servant loyalty oath of 1934? Everyone did. We are not interested in what everyone did. We are interested in what you did. Everyone swore to it. It was mandatory. Yes. But you are such a perceptive man, Dr. Wieck. You could see what was coming. You could see that National Socialism was leading Germany to disaster. It was clear to anyone who had eyes and ears. Didn't you realize what it would have meant if you and men like you would have refused to swear to the oath? It would have meant that Hitler could never have come to absolute power. Why didn't you? Dr. Vick, why didn't you? Which, because, is, which yeah. is why the film is great. Yeah, because this, this professor or this old guy, well, he left. He wasn't really there. So yeah. how did he know exactly what was happening? Right. And what exactly was he doing? And you say that there were sterilizations, but did you see them? Sterilizations yeah. weren't invented by the Nazis. This is something that's been done all over the world, including, and then he reads a this quote of, three generations of imbeciles are enough. Yeah. And that quote is from our friend Oliver Wendell Holmes. Wow. Supreme Court Justice. Yeah. And this is true. There was forced sterilization in the United States in the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, and it's something we don't talk about anymore. I'm not surprised. Yep. We were ignorant at, of a lot of things. But leeches, using leeches, we were ignorant drilling the drilling holes in brains and like if you go back and listen to the what med or read what medical uh, what medicine was trying to do back then, you're just like unsettled by the decisions. Well, but, but they didn't have a, but they had limited knowledge. You but know? this is fundamentally this is not a medical process. Well, sterilization is a medical process. Sure, but 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 the trepanning the brain was to relieve pressure on the brain. Sterilization is taking a person and saying you're too stupid to have kids and putting them in a jail cell and forcing them and to have a vasectomy. Oh no, no, I'm not talking about the what you're talking about with the brain. I'm saying they did that sometimes as lobotomies, like those kinds of things. Sure, they, they, that's true. Because they couldn't handle, yeah. they didn't understand how to handle mental illness. Yes, so okay, they no, did no, that. that makes and a good that's what, point. so it's yes. it's mental sterilization. Good, yeah. is what I'm getting. No, at. you're yeah. totally right. I yeah. misunderstood you. No, no, no worries. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I did, you didn't feel disparaged. <laughs> Okay. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no disparagement on the cinephiles. Not the cinephiles. Um, uh, yeah, Max really kicks him ass. He wipes the guy out. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Even though you can see through his points, he does wipe the guy out. But it gives you a moment pause. Sure. I mean, when you hear that Oliver Wendell Holmes thought that forced sterilization is okay. Right. And that, because this is, because the point is, what is the judge supposed to do? Right. You know, is that it's not, if, if, because if, if the law says this is what it is, the judge's job is to mm -hmm. uh, interpret the law. Mm -hmm. It's not to rewrite the law. Right. Or fight against the law. Or is it? Well, that's mm -hmm. something we're going to get into. Exactly. Um, and, and, then things get a little bit out of hand. Widmark uh, objects, and finally Tracy shuts the whole thing down. Order! Order! Now, this tribunal will admonish both counsel. It will tolerate nothing of this kind again. We're not here to listen to outbursts of this kind, but to serve justice. Your Honor, I made an objection. The objection is overruled. 
He, he overrules Widmark's objection. And this gets to this thing that goes on quite a bit is he seems to side a lot more with Maximilian Schell than mm-hmm. he does with Richard Widmark. Mm-hmm. And Richard Widmark, Colonel Lawson, not very happy about this. No, no. Well, yeah. yeah, but also because and that's why you cast the way you do. Widmark is so overpowering in moments. He like violates Maximilian's physical space at times when he's doing these objections, going right next to him, yeah. doing those kinds of things. And he's trying to bully Maximilian Schell a little bit. Absolutely. And because Maximilian Schell is a thinner guy, is a younger guy, uh, almost waifish at times, you feel sympathy for him. So that when he sides with, when the judge sides with him, it doesn't necessarily make you feel like, oh, he's against America or he's not listening to Richard Widmark. It's more like, give this guy a fighting chance. You know, and we know already what Widmark is going to think and feel and say. We want to hear what Widmark has to, oh, what uh, uh, Herr Rolf has to say, because Herr Rolf is going to give us the complexities of the issues. Well, it's funny because uh, from a character and a dramatic point of mm-hmm. view, I think I totally agree with what you say. Yeah. But that wasn't how I was seeing it when I was watching it. Oh, because okay. what I was seeing was S- Spencer Tracy's character is ruling on the law. Mm-hmm. And he is doing, it has nothing to do with America. Right. It has nothing to do with anything other than, was that a justified objection? Right. It was not, I overrule it. Mm-hmm. You know, He's because, consistent. Yeah, because he believes in the law. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet, so did Yawning. Mm-hmm. From his point of view. Right. Up to a certain point that we're going to get to. Um, after the trial or after that session, we're back with the judges and we hear that Spencer Tracy has now read a bunch of these books and really admires this guy mm-hmm. and wants to know how could this guy have gone from being hopeful and believing in the law to helping the Nazis. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a tough one to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at the mansion, we meet Marlena Dietrich. Oh, the great Marlena Dietrich. Yeah. It's funny because uh, another movie we talked about, Touch of Evil. Mm-hmm is only a couple years from here. Yep. And she looks entirely different. Mm-hmm. Those are two totally different characters she plays. Yeah. And she's here gathering her things, because guess what? This was her house. Yep. Uh, Madame Berthold, this is her house. Uh, she came to get some of her belongings from the basement. I didn't know she was coming This tonight. is my responsibility, Mrs. Halberstadt. I've been storing some of my things here until I could get a room large enough to keep them in. I hope you don't mind. No, no, not at all. You can examine what I have here if you like. Of course not. Then I just take these out. Yeah. That she had with her general husband. Yep. Who had been, who we found out was executed in the previous trials. Yep. And what she felt was incorrectly. She is, she adamantly believes that her husband was innocent, didn't know what was going on, Followed along because he He's had to, because he was a military man. He soldier. had to follow orders yeah. as a soldier. That's what he was. And so she has an anger towards the Americans, which she says she's gotten over, but you can tell she hasn't. And there's an anger there, and she wants the. And this was so interesting. The, the trial itself is a battlefield for numerous people in the trial for yeah. their issues. Yep. They have axes they want to grind or justice they want to mete out, or forgiveness they want to have happen through what's happening in the trial. And Marlena Dietrich comes in as this other face of Germany, who yeah. the the uh, the bourgeois, the 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 rich face of Germany that was like, we didn't know. We how would we have known? You know, like, how could we have known? We and he's a he was a good man following orders. Why must you judge him this way? Why did you execute him? You don't know our country. How can you judge right. us by your rules? So it's very interesting. Well, and she's trying to do two things at once because that is her emotional state. Yes. And 
She's trying to be nice. Yes, she is. You know what I mean? Right. And that's a and, and there's this kind of awkward moment where she's in her. I can you imagine being in your house and just trying to clear out a couple of your things for this mm-hmm. other guy who's lived there, who's part of the group of people that killed your husband. Yeah. That's a lot, you know. And he, and again, Spencer Tracy is v- lovely and yes. warm and kind to Very her. Very kind to her, yeah. Yeah, it helps her send her off with a car. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back in and he wants to ask his staff, the two servants, about her. Yeah. And they and and, and you know why he's doing it. And you can see that he's trying to be kind. <laughs> and you could see that the, that you can see that he sees that they are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you could see why this scene is it's just horrible. Yeah. Because you see their pain and f- terror, mm-hmm. literal terror. Yeah. Uh, we were not political. Mr. Halberstadt and I are not political. No, but uh... You must have been aware of some of the events that were going on. We we never attended meetings. Never. (laughs) I'm not trying to put you on trial. I'm just, uh, I'm just curious. I'd like to know. For instance, there was a place called Dachau, which was not too many miles from here. Did you ever know what was going on there? We knew nothing about it. How, how can you ask if? anything about that I'm sorry it's not that it's one year removed from the end of the Nazi regime once the Americans leave what's gonna happen to us if we shoot our mouths off or say something untoward and it gets back to her right exactly yeah there's also one other weird thing too which is that the previous people who lived here, they never hung out in the kitchen and right. talked to servants. That's right. So they're very uncomfortable just with his presence. Mm-hmm. And now he, and now they feel like he's saying, were you a war criminal? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the judge who's mm-hmm. going to have people executed <laughs> asking you how you felt about the Nazis in Dachau. Right. You know, that's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. I just want to serve you grilled cheese. And I, don't moment, know, I don't want to tell you. Where this. they say Hitler did some good things, too. Mm. You know, but that's the ugly truth of the whole thing. And this is like, I, I and I'm God, God I got to walk a line when I when I say this. But this is the ugly truth of Hitler and the Nazis. If you do your history and you study the Treaty of Versailles after the end of World War One, and you see how that absolutely crippled Germany economically, militarily, uh, their view of themselves as people, they were destroyed. It was ripe for someone to step in with a, 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 a tyrannical point of view that to motivate the country to embrace itself again and find its, its pride in itself again. So in a way, what he did to bring pride back to the German people was good. Unfortunately, his tyrannical uh, desires to control everything, his racism, his prejudices, this is what ends up destroying and causing the legacy to be so horrific and something we still use as a touchstone to measure evil, uh, even in 2017. Uh, so that's, you have to do your history. It isn't just, you know, the Nazis were bad. Yes, they were bad. But you have to understand why they came about so it never happens again. And that's what's interesting about the film because it's, it's a really controversial thing to say in 1961, especially with the Red Scare uh, just we're just out of the Red Scare with McCarthy. We're just out of what the the people that got blacklisted in Hollywood. So it's a very dangerous concept to have this idea of trying to show this other side of how Hitler came to power and that he did do some good things for the country, even though he was a tyrant. Well, I think I think what we have to separate out, and this is what's so hard, yeah. is we have to be smart enough to be able to say that. There are things that can be admirable out of, in a person that we despise. Right. For instance, I can say 
that Genghis Khan was a horrible person who killed hundreds of thousands or millions. Sure. And I can also say he was a brilliant general, that he was incredibly brilliant at mm-hmm. moving people, at motivating people, at right. logistics, and that he actually was open to religions yeah. uh, and that there was a, so, and that there was a lot of civilization that happened mm-hmm. because of Genghis Khan, right. also a horrible person. Yes, you know? exactly. Yes. And I can also say that if you look at the what happened after the Treaty of Versailles and then into the Depression to Germany mm-hmm. is this was a completely wrecked country. Yes. And that the the transformation under the Nazi regime from when they took power in 33 to when the war started might be the most remarkable turnaround of any country in the history of the world. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it is, so in terms of efficiency, mm-hmm. discipline, organization, um, uh, understanding of how the economy works yeah. and of how to motivate people. Yeah. They were brilliant. Yeah. They were also evil. Yes. And some of the tools that they use to motivate people are some of the worst possible things that yeah. any humans have ever done. Yeah. So, but I think if we, if we fail to separate those things out, then we're being um, purposely ignorant. Yes. Agreed. Of the reality. Simplistic. Yeah. And you can't be with something like this. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a history lesson from yeah. the cinephiles. <laughs> from the cinephiles. <laughs> Welcome to the history files. Where oh, each week. Oh, shit. <laughs> Let's not do that as a new podcast. So there's a podcast. There's a, if you really want that, there's a podcast. If you guys are if you like our epic long many hour podcast, <laughs> check out a podcast called Hardcore History. Mm. They are in general about five hours long each, <laughs> and it's just one guy talking to you who's Damn. very smart. Damn, they come out every three or four months. Oh, that makes sense. And he and it is like here's a here's a history book. The last one I think was on Alexander the Great. Wow, that's amazing. And it was just like. You know, five hour long. That's fascinating. They're dude. great. Okay. But they're not for they're not for right. the faint of heart. Yes. There's a reason I listen to things at two times a day. <laughs> um, That's true. All right. Our third our third tribunal. Yeah. Um, we start to hear about forced sterilization. We call our first witness. Rudolph Peterson, Montgomery Clift. <sighs> dude, the reason I love this film so much, another reason, another one of the many reasons, is the Film acting that Montgomery Clift and Judy Garland do in this movie, both near the tail end of their careers, and me being a massive fan of old Hollywood, knowing their history, their personal struggles, Montgomery Clift being gay in Hollywood, what bisexual, that brought, bisexual, bisexual yeah. sorry, bisexual in Hollywood, Burt Lancaster, ironically, tore him to pieces on the set of From Here to Eternity the whole time, destroyed him emotionally. To see him in the courtroom with him is incredible if you know the history of their struggles on, oh, that, I didn't know that. on that set. Yeah, you, if you do reading, Burt Lancaster was a complete asshole to him on that set because of his bisexual nature. Then you have Judy Garland with her struggles with drugs, her weight, drinking, her failed marriages, the stuff that she went through in Hollywood, and you see them bring this pain, this struggle, this, this uh, life condition that they endured in real life to these characters. And you know Montgomery was from the School of Method with Brando. He's very good friends with Brando and Dean. All that he was he's, from that School of Method. Three. I mean, those are the yep. big three that come out of that school. At exactly, that time. exactly. Yeah. And so when you see what he does with this character as it progresses through his testimony, Jesus, it's one of the most beautiful, heartbreaking. I cry every time I watch it. Every single time when he brings out that picture of his mother. Every fucking time I cry. My mother. What you say about her. She was a woman, a servant woman who worked hard. She was a hard-working woman. And it is not fair, not fair what you say. 
I want to show you. I have here her, her picture. I would like you looked at it. I would like you to judge. I, I want that you tell me, was she feeble-minded? My mother. Was she feeble-minded? Was she? His performance is stunning yes. and powerful and shocking. Yeah. And it's funny, too. I was thinking about the contrast between acting styles of Montgomery Clift and Spencer Tracy. Sure. Because Spencer Tracy is everything Montgomery Clift is not mm-hmm. and vice versa. Is Spencer Tracy is spare yeah. and real and simple and honest and he's not putting any acting on it. Right. And Montgomery Clift is emotional and it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it's... I mean, it's just this whole powerful thing. They're both real in two completely yep. different ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you don't walk away and go, oh, that's not real. No. With both of them. It's just like 100% what is happening. Montgomery is almost too real. Yeah. And that's what scares you. And the story he tells is this story of a slow descent mm-hmm. of conflict with, you know, first there's a fight with a essay guy, and yeah. then that ends up being the guy who's trying to get his license for some kind of license from it, whatever yeah. it was. And then he ends up in this trial, mm-hmm. and then he ends up in with this sentence to be sterilized. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, you feel sympathy for him, right? And then Maximilian Schell comes in for that cross-examination. Yeah. And just... Oh, it's one more thing oh, before, yeah, I want to say before they get there, because I think it's important, is that, um, is that part of what they're doing is they're asking him questions, yep. intelligence questions, which he can't answer right. because he's not the smartest of guys. Right. And then he's, he tries to run away and he comes back and then he ends up in the hospital. Yes. And the doctor and the nurse tell him, we are against this. We think this is wrong. Yeah. But they do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah. That's important is that, and this is what we're talking about with the judges, we're mm-hmm. talking about it with the German people, is the, I think this is wrong, but not enough that I'm going to stand up and do something about it. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing in the world is to understand a situation like that when you yourself have never been in a situation like that. It's easy to judge those people as wrong. It's harder to understand what it would be like to be in that situation, what you would actually do. Yeah. And so that's, you're right. And that's what's, these, this theme keeps coming back over and over again. This idea of them not wanting to do something, but being forced to do so by the government and them needing to log their protests, but still doing it anyway. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we get Max. Max yeah. is going to give this cross examination. Oh, it's brutal. Just brutal. Tears him to pieces and showcases that he is not an intelligent guy. Yeah. And, it is uncomfortable. It is painful. Yeah. Uh, it is almost like Nazi Germany trying him again and finding him guilty That's again exactly for what sterilization. It is. He's using the same test. Mr. Peterson, there was a simple test that the health court used to ask in all cases of mental incompetence. Since you say they did not ask you then, perhaps you can answer it for us now. Form a sentence out of the words, Hare, Hunter, Field. Your Honor, objection. And one of the things that's happening, by the way, mm-hmm. Montgomery Clift, I guess at that time in his life, he had a lot of trouble with lines. Oh. And yeah, so what Kramer all, said to him. He, he had his own issues with drugs and alcohol drug, as well. Yeah, yeah, he had a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. And what Kramer said to him, he said, listen, you know this character. You know how to be this character. Just answer the questions mm-hmm. from the cross-examination. And that's what he did. They had already made up 
When I walked into the court, they had made up their minds. They had made up their minds. They put me in the hospital like a criminal. I could not say anything. I could not do anything. I, I had to lay there. And that's what we see is him <sighs> struggling for those words and him trying to. Yeah. He's using it. That's amazing. And uh, it, and the Jesus. performance is astounding. Yeah. And it gets to a really, really bad place. Well, he devolves. Yeah. Right? Because we want to feel sympathy for him at the beginning when he's getting all the right questions from the uh, from the prosecutor. All the right questions. But when the defense attorney steps up, Max Manchow, Herr Rolf, when he starts to show the ugly side, the underside, the underbelly of this, that he is not intelligent. He comes from a family that is not that intelligent. That they're That in their minds, they had some kind of record and reason to do this to him. And then he pulls out this picture of his mother because he doesn't want to accept that his mother was mentally un- unbalanced or had mental health issues. And that's why he takes out the picture. He goes, my mother, my mother, you tell me. And they're all are sh- ashamed. Yep. They're all ashamed uh, because they see a man who's been broken because he keeps saying, I was not like this until they sterilized me. You don't know what I was like. And that's what Rolf says. So It's brutal. Just so brutal. Yeah, he says it like... I feel it is my duty to point out to the tribunal that the witness is not in control of his mental processes. I know I am not. Since that day, I've been half I've ever been. The tribunal does not know how you were before. Can never know, and that is devastating. And like I said, I cry every time. Cry every time because well, that's—I've been there. I've been in that place where you can't find your words, where you feel like people are judging you. When I was younger, and you can't, and you feel like you're on trial, and you, 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 you long, you, you're desperate to be understood, and that's what he's trying to be—is understood, and and somehow find a way out of this. And it's just so brutal to watch. Well, and two things about this: one is is that the in terms of the trial. What Max Michel says at the end, mm. we can't know that, mm-hmm. is exactly right Correct. in terms of evidence. Yes. And that is why it's so devastating. Yeah. In terms of morality, we're reasoning from a false premise. Yeah. Because the premise that is created is that the value of this man's life or his mother's life is determined by his level of intelligence. Yes. And that is wrong. Yeah. You know, and that is so because when you make that argument and you can say and Hitler made this argument 100 percent, these are deficient humans. Yeah, they are less than normal. They can't be part of the perfect race. The Aryan race. We are trying to be perfect. Therefore, we must eliminate them. You know, eugenics. And that implies that the standards by which the Nazis judge perfection are correct. And they are not mm-hmm. like one of the big things. If you watch Triumph of the Will, which is how I've watched, but it's very hard for me to watch. Yeah. And you see the images of what Jews look like. Part of it was look at these ugly, skinny, big nosed Jews. Right. They are inferior. Yeah. And then you have the square jawed, blonde haired, broad shouldered German and say, this is what we aspire to, which is funny coming from Hitler because he didn't look like that. No. And nor was he fucking German. He was yeah. half Austrian. He was Austrian. He was a and, full well, German. and there's some rumor that he has Jewish ancestry too. Yeah, that's right. A whole other thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but is that the implication that these two standards of physical appearance and intelligence are what creates value in a human? Right. And they are not. No. Humans are complicated. There are people who are not that intelligent and ugly, but are the most compassionate, loving, caring people in the world. And we need them. Yes. We need uh, uh, Montgomery Cliff's mom. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Don't talk about my mom. <laughs> I mean, it's so like this whole yeah. idea that you can create an argument and then group people into a group yeah. and say, 
we just should get rid of them. And everyone goes, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That one riles me up. No. Yeah. Oh, it should rile you up. Um, and at this moment, Spencer Tracy adjourns the court. Yeah. We end up at a party, which Spencer Tracy goes to kind of reluctantly, mm-hmm. having a little bit of political talk. I love Spencer Tracy's line where they kind of are going, how do you feel about mm-hmm. this? And he says, I'm a rock rib Republican who thought FDR was a great man. <laughs> That's an amazing line because it says everything says that I should, I'm not on this guy's team. Yeah. And yet I can admire him for being a great man. That's mm-hmm. who we want to be a judge. Someone exactly. who has the wisdom to look beyond his own perspective. Yep. Um, uh, Marlena comes up. And that's when she sort of talks about that she, her, she feels her job is to introduce Americans to the real Germany. Mm-hmm. You see, I have a mission with the Americans, as Mr. Perkins can tell you. Oh, what is that? To convince you that we are not all monsters. And that's when Richard Woodmark shows up. Mm-hmm. A slightly inebriated. Slightly. <laughs> and he's not a nice drunk. Nope. And Marlena Dukert excuses herself, and the hatred mm-hmm. between the two of them is so palpable. Right. Because now we find out that he was the prosecuting attorney yeah. that sent her husband to death. Well, I think there's more hatred from her end than his end. His is more a matter of defensiveness. Maybe, Hers maybe. is a matter of anger for taking her, her love away from yeah. him. And, and, and what you start to feel from him, which we're going to get more and more mm-hmm. into, he has deep, he has deep hatred yeah. here, deep anger. And there seems to be a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what the reason is. Not, yeah. He's almost a zealot yeah. about it. We shouldn't be discussing this. Oh, no. No, Judge. We're fair Americans and true blue. We mustn't do anything that's out of order. No, sir. We can't do anything that's out of order. There are no Nazis in Germany. Didn't you know that, Judge? The Eskimos invaded Germany and took over. That's how all those terrible things happened. It wasn't the fall of the Germans. It was the fall of those damn Eskimos. And then there's this announcement. Hey, every, all the officers, you got to go home because mm-hmm. the Soviet Union has invaded Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And this is a whole other element to the movie. So I just saw it for the first time mm-hmm. that I didn't expect, which was putting this trial into political perspective in terms of what is going to become the Cold War, mm-hmm. which is our relationship to Germany is incredibly important in our defense against Soviet incursion. Right. And therefore, the what happens in this trial is going to affect geopolitics. Well, I think this was great too, Steve, because as if this shit wasn't complex enough, like if this wasn't yeah. complicated enough, let's throw in the Russian situation into this as well and communism into this and then have him judge or, or hand out his sentences against that backdrop. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is such big news that even in the prison with our judges, yeah. they are talking about it yeah. and uh, they're all having their opinions about things. And this is great moment where yawning, they finally, he's not talking with no, them. No, of course not. And he's above find, them. Yeah. He's a, he's a kind of superior son. He of is bitch. an elite son of a bitch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we're here later on, he says some stuff that's yeah. sort of like, oh, wow. And he turns to Sam and says, listen to me here, Han. There have been terrible things that have happened to me in my life. But the worst thing that has ever happened is to find myself in the company of men like you. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. You want to talk about sick burns? They used to have more class in their sick burns back then. Dude, when, when one of the landed gentry burns you, <laughs> it's, it goes deep. It's deep. Yeah. It's deep. <laughs> um, 
and what we didn't mention was when Marlena saw Spencer Tracy at the party, she invited him to a concert. Yes. And that's where we're going to get up. He goes to the concert. Mm-hmm. He's listening to the music. If you notice that German music plays an important part in this film. Yeah. German singing, German folk songs, German music. It's very important. It's almost like the chorus. To me, it's the language of the people. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, you feel the presence mm-hmm. of the unseen German people mm-hmm. through this music. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot of what this movie is about, is how do we feel about these people? Right, right. Um, and he sees Marlene Dietrich, they're going to walk home. Um, and this is where we hear about a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, yeah. her husband's death. Um, we talk we hear about Spencer's Tracy's family. Um, yeah. His wife died a little while ago, doesn't have children. Right. And then she says, do you want to come up to my place? Okay. Okay. <laughs> And I love the design of her apartment, her flat, because it is on the one hand, obviously beat up and dilapidated. On the other hand, she has worked really, really, really hard to make it clean and nice and proper. Well, of course, it it reflects her life. Yeah. Right. And she has a looming picture of him. Yeah. Her ex or her, um, her, uh, you know, uh, uh, her husband. Killed? Yeah. What am I trying to say? Executed? Executed husband. Yeah. God damn it. I'm I'm going dumb. Yeah. That's what's happening. Well, you've had a long day. I'm about to get sterilized if I keep going this way. But like, you know, we see the picture of <laughs> Wow. <laughs> we see the picture of him. Is that still a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking. But we see the picture of him above. And I love that because that's that also conveys his looming presence in her life. You no question. Still. No, oh, it's... Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine if, the, you know, having the hookup with the widow underneath that picture? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that joke shouldn't stay. In. Well, I think. Well, all right, but I think in a in a lesser film they would have had a romance, an unnecessary romance, yeah. and they they get near it. They have get near it, but it isn't quite no. consummated, which is great. Yeah, and and she says she's the daughter of the military. She's taught discipline. Yes, you know what that means, don't you? No, I'm afraid I don't. It means I was taught discipline, a very special kind of discipline. For instance, when I was a child, we used to go for long rides into the country in summertime. But I was never allowed to run to the lemonade stand with the others. I was told, control your thirst, control hunger, control emotion. They served me well. And your husband, was he of that heritage too? My husband was a soldier. He was brought up to do one thing. To fight in the battle and fight well. And and she's asking about yawning, and he's saying, whoa, whoa, we can't discuss yeah, right. the trial. Right. And then she tells this story of Hitler coming uh, coming on to yawning's wife. Yes. And he cuts him in, and he says, I do not object that you are so ill-mannered. I object that you are such a bourgeois. Bourgeois. That is a, that is a high-class <laughs> cut down. <laughs> Once again, yawning. Yeah, he's got a he's got a book of sick burns, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to see yawning's book of sick burns. Um, it's perfect. So, and then we start hearing this name of Irene Hoffman. Yes, and Widmark says, "Okay, I'm going to go to Berlin and find him." So he's going to leave the trial. We go up to Berlin, and we meet Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Now. She's another important figure. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're going to do another movie that we're going to spend sure. a lot more time on her. Is it a boss? There's even yeah. one, I'm not going to say, <laughs> maybe we've tried to schedule it with a very special guest oh, to do it, yeah. um, but it's coming up. But I will say, as you, as you mentioned before, yeah. this is a person who's been through a lot. This mm-hmm. movie is very different for her. Mm-hmm. She's remarkable in the film. She is. And that's the thing, like... And this is not saying anything negatively, right? She had struggles with uh, drugs and alcohol, 
and her weight. You know, when you see Summerstock, you see that film Summerstock, you see she's heavier in the film. By the end of the film, she's thinner when she's doing that dance. And it's because she put herself in this crazy diet. She went back on her drugs, lost the weight because she, she was so nervous about that dance sequence. And so here, I love her here. She's a she's older she's a woman she looks like someone who would be the housewife or the wife of the guy that you see right, right. this kind of older fatter german guy who just she has that look the lived in look and it's great because it great. really works for her because she's still she's still so heartbreaking and uh broken and yeah. it's like it's so powerful when and, she gets and, and widmark wants her to come back to yeah. nuremberg for the trial yeah she doesn't want to initially she come because she want to live this whole thing again and particularly when she hears the yawning and uh and the Werner Klemper character, which is Han, I think, yes. are going to be there. Yeah. And yet, in the end, there's one... I think Woodmark says something like, there's one person you can't let down. Right. You know? And she agrees. Yeah. And her husband is great. The guy who plays the part, very supportive of her. And that's why she chose a man like that to be with, because of the horrific experience that she'd been through. Yeah. You know? Um, and then we're back on the trial. Woodmark's not there yet. We're starting to hear a little bit about this case, which they call the Fettelstein case. Or yeah. The, and this is actually based on a real case, which mm-hmm. I think is it's like the Katzenberg case or mm-hmm. something like that. And Woodmark comes in, and we hear this idea of racial pollution. Yeah. Which is sex between an Aryan and a non-Aryan, which is punishable by death. And this is, you know, this is no joke. This mm-hmm. is Nazi Germany in the 30s. Mm-hmm. You know. 30s and 40s, yeah. Yeah. And um, Fettelstein was a prominent uh, Jewish merchant. He was accused of sex with Irene Hoffman, the Judy Garland character, mm-hmm. when she was 16. Um, the trial was in this courtroom, right in this room. It was during the Nuremberg rallies, mm-hmm. so it was filled with the top Nazi draft. All the Nazi officials were there. Uh, Han, Werner Kempler's character, was the prosecuting attorney, and Yawning was the judge. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine being 16? A 16-year-old girl in that situation. Imagine. Yeah. And they call Irene Hoffman. Yeah. Um, and what she says was that they were friends. Mm-hmm. That he was kind to her. That he was an older man, that he lived in the building that, she o- that mm-hmm. he owned. And that he was kind to her. You know? And then... She says she was questioned alone by Han. He told her that no one would believe her. He told her that if she protected Fiddleston, that she'd be arrested. Mm -hmm. And she refused to lie. Mm -hmm. I told him what I had said again and again. I told him that I could not say anything else. I could not lie about someone who had been so kind to me. And she was arrested. Um, Han... uh, ridiculed her at the trial the audience laughed because everybody's on this bandwagon at this point right uh the verdict was guilty Fettelstein was executed and she was sent to prison yeah and in this whole trial we are aware first of han who seemed perfectly happy with what happened yeah and then the camera zooms in to yawning and that face man Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on there right um and that this decree that we, and then what happens that we talk about is this idea of secret arrest. Yeah. Is that we can now just grab someone without a trial, without anyone see it, and put them in the concentration camp. That's how the laws have now changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and judges signed those orders. Right. Yeah. And Maximilian Schell does not, uh, Maximilian Schell does not cross-examine. No. He says, I would like to withhold this till later. Mm-hmm. 
that's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out later. But yeah. and, and now we swear in Colonel Lawson, Richard yes. Woodmark. Which I thought was an interesting move to swear in the well, colonel. Because, th- you know, I'm seeing it for the first time, so I'm like, what is going on? What, what happens? And then. And we know that he's been emotional. Yes. And we know that he is angry. Mm-hmm. And we feel that there is more behind his prosecution than what we've been led to believe. Yeah. And now we find out because he was with the army that freed Buchenwald. Yeah. And now he shows the films. The actual films. And these are the films I saw as a kid. Yep. I mean, I remembered the shot of the bulldozer bulldozing the bodies into the mass grave. And I remember the images of the showers and of the soap. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the train cars and all of those things. They're like really in my brain. Yeah. Uh, Richard Woodmark does an incredible job doing the voiceover for that sequence. I mean, he's obviously testifying, but the um, emotion yeah. behind his voice as his stops and starts in when he's talking uh, when he's talking about it is just it's incredibly powerful and you feel the weight of what he must have witnessed there was a motto at Buchenwald break the body break the spirit break the heart the ovens of Buchenwald evidence of last minute efforts to dispose of bodies the stoves were manufactured by a well-known company which also specialized in baking ovens. An exhibit of byproducts of Buchenwald. Brushes of every description. Shoes. Adults and children. Spectacles. Gold from teeth melted down, sent once a month to the medical department of the Waffen SS, a lampshade made from human skin. Children who'd been tattooed to mark them for eventual extermination. Sometimes mercy was shown to the children. They were injected with morphia so they'd be unconscious when hanged. The bodies of those who'd come in boxcars, without food and without air who hadn't survived the journey to Dachau. A witness at one of the executions at Dachau gave the following description. Inmates were made to leave their clothing on a rack. They were told they were going to take baths. Then the doors were locked. Tins of Cyclone B were released through the specially constructed apertures. You could hear the groaning in the whimpering inside. After two or three minutes, all was quiet. And here's the thing I was thinking about. So another movie that we actually did that is coming out as we're recording Mm. this tomorrow is Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Dr. Strangelove couldn't be a more opposite film from Judgment at Nuremberg. They Mm -hmm. came out two years apart. (laughs) And there's a thing that we talked about in that film that reminds me of something here which is that when kubrick set out to make this movie about nuclear holocaust he was trying to make a serious film and he spent months and months and months trying to make a serious film but he kept laughing yeah is that every time he would try to do the serious thing it would become funny to him and finally they decided to do a comedy when we saw uh montgomery cliff tell his story Mm. we were deeply moved 
when you hear Judy Garland tell her story, we're deeply moved because when we we know how to empathize with one person. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to nuclear war, our brain shuts down mm-hmm. in some fundamental way. And we cannot have that emotion of empathy, of being moved. It's too big. And so it's too big. And so Kubrick decides to make a comedy. When I see this footage or when I visit uh, the Holocaust Museum mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., which yeah. I've been to, or the Holocaust Museum in Berlin I've been to, wow. or Yad Vashem in Israel that I've been to, mm-hmm. you walk around in sort of a stunned silence. Mm-hmm. Yes, some people weep. But sometimes it's so big and so overwhelming, and the idea, and it's particularly the efficiency and the thought and the mechanization of the way people were slaughtered mm-hmm. by the millions, mm-hmm. that your brain stops. Yeah. And you're left in this not empathetic feeling, but cold and lost and empty feeling. Mm-hmm. And you watch as this footage is shown, and this footage had almost never been seen in the United States. This is the first major public showing wow. of the real footage from the Holocaust. Wow. I mean, people knew about it. Sure, of course. But watch it because, you know, it would be illegal under the Hayes mm-hmm. Code and things like that. This was a crazy because there's a lot of naked bodies and right. death. It's horrible. And you watch the faces of the people in the courtroom as they react to this footage. Yeah. And that is a profound moment in film. Mm-hmm. And... It's also a moment why I kind of understand why I didn't seek these out. Yeah. You know, because I don't like how that makes me feel. Mm-hmm. I know that it exists. I know what happened. Yeah. I don't like to be there. Well, and this is what, Steve, this is a great thing you bring up because this is what helps Karen, your wife, or me, who are not Jewish by birth right. uh, or by religion. Um, we have a separation inherent in the situation. Right. It's not our people necessarily that we're seeing. It's not our race. If I was seeing that, six million Latinos treated that way, gassed, bodies put, I would have incredibly hard time watching it. I would incredibly hard. So I would be resistant to it. My father died of cancer. I can't get involved in any cancer charities. I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength. I have tried. It destroys me every time. Other charities I can get involved in cancer i can't go near it's too it's still too close it's still too painful and so i understand exact i i can understand where you're coming from and feel that because even as a person who's not jewish watching that is stunned silence when i walk through the holocaust museum in dc because obviously it's where i grew up you know it's an amazing museum yeah it is and the tunnel that you walk that tunnel that you walk under every single time just absolute reverence and silence for these people's lives and that were taken from them in such horrific ways. And you're right. And I think that's why we go stone cold about it, Steve, is because we really come face to face with the evil of the true evil that man is capable of. Uh, humans are capable of it, And I think it, on some level, it still remains beyond comprehension. Yes. You could know it, but not comprehend it. And thank God, because if you can comprehend it, you can do it. And I'd rather not. Yeah. That's the understatement of the, <laughs> I'm just saying. And, Speaking of not comprehending it, mm. we go into the prison, back with the judges, Yeah, and you really do feel that, for the most part, this is the first time they saw it. Yeah. They didn't, and they're still going, that can't be right. Yeah. Those numbers can't really be right. Right. You know? this, this, right. We still hear that argument now, Steve. People push back that the Holocaust never even happened. There are people who support this theory. It's, it's because it's too big. It can't possibly be true. Human beings can't possibly do this to each other. 
It's too overwhelming to believe. And yet human beings have done it to each other over and over and over again. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's like, yes, the cold mechanized efficiency of the German Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And by the way, one of the things that always bothers me is we always say, oh, six million Jews. And we always forget the Romani and homosexuals and, and political dissidents. And Very the numbers point. are probably way up over seven million. Mm-hmm. Um, but But it's like... But when we say the Holocaust, we don't usually talk about the Armenian mm-hmm. Holocaust. You know, we don't, you know, it's like we got to talk about Somalia and all these mm-hmm. other places. We do it over and over and over yes, again. Yes, we do. The Germans were particularly good at it. Mm-hmm. Like they played nice classical music as they, and they, as they marched people into the showers and they gave them a ticket to get their clothes back. I mean, that is some brilliant mind fuckery, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's evil. It's yeah. pure fucking evil. And, and, and they ask these judges in this prison, ask this guy who was at the camps, mm-hmm. that can't really be possible to kill that many people. And he goes in this very practical, just straightforward yeah. way while he's eating. It's possible. How? Oh. You mean technical? It all depends on your facilities. Say you have two chambers to accommodate 2,000 people apiece. Figure it out. It's possible to get rid of 10,000 in a half hour. You don't even need guards to do it. You can tell them they're going to take a shower, and then instead of the water, you turn on the gas. It's not the killing that is the problem. It's disposing of the bodies. That's the problem. And this is what people talk about when, they had, when we had the Abu Ghraib scandal. Yeah. They no longer saw them as human beings. They were playthings because they had devolved as the guardians of these people, the guards of these people into this mindset. And yep. you see that play out with this guy in the movie as he's talking about it while he's eating his food. Yep. That it's not the killing, it's the disposing and blah, blah, blah. You're just like, man, to, to boil it down to something so simplistic as if you're burying uh, sticks in the yard or something it's madness but it's an extension of the same thing that police Mm. and undertakers and um ambulance drivers have to deal with which is that you have humans have this weird ability to shut things off yeah Yeah. and sometimes and and to some degree that is a useful ability yeah and it's really scary (laughs) yes yeah uh and we go back to marlena dietrich and spencer tracy in a cafe having what seems like a fairly nice date. Yeah. You know? And then, but but Spencer Tracy is a little distracted because he saw those pictures. And mm-hmm. I love what she says, What she says, oh, Colonel Lawson's favorite pictures. Mm. Mm. That's a lot of a line. Yeah, man. She follows that up with, is that what you think we are? <sighs> you know? And then she says, we didn't know. There it is. Yeah. The fallback excuse, we didn't know. And Spencer Tracy's line is, as far as I can make out, no one in this country knew. Yes. This is an even more powerful line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's interesting, too. One of the things that bothers her is that her husband was hung rather than put in front of a firing squad, Mm -hmm. that he did not get a military execution. Mm -hmm. This is weird, the shit that people get hung up on. Well, it's, you know, it's, you know, she comes from a military family. So in her mind, there's a protocol. Yeah. And as she's talking about that's what turned her, what it taught her what it was to hate, mm. we hear the German song again being sung <laughs> in the background. But one can't live with hate. I know that. Um, we have to forget we are to go on living. Oh, <laughs> 
Um, and there's this whip pan off of Tracy's look to the crowd singing. And I wanted to ask you, because you've seen this many times. Yes. We've had this conversation. We've just seen these films mm-hmm. of the concentration camp. We're hearing the German singing. Yeah. She's saying, is that how you see us? Right. We didn't know. Right. And Tracy looks around at this room of German singing. Mm-hmm. How are we supposed to feel? For me, I've always thought this is uh, what we must do as human beings. We move on. We have to move on. If we don't move on, we are stuck in an endless cycle. Um, they're singing, and I and I've, if I remember, there's like there's a, there's a translation. The song they're singing is not one of. Oh, yeah, she translates it. Yeah, she translates it. Right, it's not necessarily a joyful song. Right, it's about a, a soldier and a, a woman, like her soldier's right. going away to war. Right. So it's more of a honorary song to the situation and what have you. And it's from it's remembering when there was nobility in the military. There was there was something. Well, to it's be, a romantic, yeah, sad song. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. Those are those things that you have to uh, grab onto to move on, to move forward. It's not saying forgive us or we didn't do anything wrong. It's saying. We have to move on as a people. And I think that's what you see there is this idea that no matter how terrible things are, you can still get over them and move past them. And a lot of people, to be fair, didn't know. Of course. And a lot of people did who claimed that they didn't. You know, there's well, And the, there's a gray area. There's a gradation mm-hmm. of there's some people that didn't know anything. Right. And there's some people... When they saw people get on the train, they didn't know where they were going. Right. But they didn't ask questions. But they didn't ask questions. Mm -hmm. And the thing, and I've been thinking literally for years of how to articulate this idea. And I'm going to try to now. Sure. But it's the thing I felt in watching the scene and in watching Spencer Tracy watch the Germans sing. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's really important to remember is that people are people. Yes. Is Is that only extraordinary people escape the world that they're in and do something completely different. Right. There are very few um, Abraham Lincolns or Walt Disney's or Steve Jobs or Adolf Hitler's or Julius Caesar's. Yeah. There are very few of them. Most people, whatever the world they're in, they kind of accept that. Yeah. And there's gradations within that. There are going to be some stronger people, weaker people, you know, louder people, quiet people, smarter people, dumber people. But in general, they're all accepting the world. Right. And that the thing of, like that I, I always feel... And I felt this in this moment is that the lesson should be that could be us. Yeah. Right. They're just people. Yep. And that if I had been in those circumstances, only the extraordinary person stands up and says no. Most people are like that nurse and that doctor. Yeah. I'm against it. I think it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Because that's, and, 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 and even saying I'm against it, I think it's wrong is almost extraordinary. Right. Most people just do it. Yeah. Because that's the world they're in. Um, it's a powerful scene to me. I agree. We're back on trial. Mm-hmm. And, he, and it's funny. Maximilian starts with how shameful those films are. Yesterday, the tribunal witnessed some films. There were shocking films. Devastating films. As a German, I feel ashamed that such things could have taken place in my country. There can never be a justification for them. Not in generations. Not in centuries. But it's also unfair. Mm-hmm. It's unfair to show it. It feels like it biases yeah. the judges to decide. 
What is the prosecution trying to prove? Is he trying to prove that the German people as all were responsible for these events? Or that they were even aware of them? Because if he is, he's not stating facts. But he knows he's not. The secrecy of the operations, the geographical location of the camps, the breakdown of communications in the last days of the war, when the exterminations rose into the millions, show only too clearly that he's not telling the truth. The truth is that these brutalities were brought about by the few extremists, the criminals. Very few German knew what was going on. Very few. None of us knew what was happening. The place is shown on these films. None of us. And then he says that yawning tried to mitigate some of this yes. stuff. Yes. That he protected people, including his own physician who was a Jew. Right. Um, and now we go back to the Fettelstein case and he calls a witness. And the witness is a cleaning lady and she says that she saw Fettelstein kissing Irene, the mm-hmm. Judy Garland character. And he saw them together all the time. Sitting on his lap. Yeah. 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 And Lawson cross-examines, says, asks her, are you a not? Were you a Nazi? And she says, "Yes, we're all Nazis." When did you become a Nazi? Nineteen thirty-three. Well, you weren't forced. And again, so he's trying mm-hmm. to discredit the witness by saying, "Well, you're a Nazi. You're part of that." Uh, but I don't think it's that easy. But she's, he's also trying to discredit this argument that they all didn't know, or they just went along with it. Yeah, you weren't forced to do it. When he says that, you weren't yeah. forced. That's his in his condemnation of people who are saying, "Well, we had no choice." Well, and it's also, again, I'm telling you, it's the frog in the boiling water mm-hmm. because just because a politician says they're going to do a particular thing, maybe when they're running for office in no. 1932, doesn't mean you really believe they're going to do that. Right, right. You know, so when Hitler says we're going to kill all the Jews, everyone goes, ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> Most people, I don't think, believe they're going to be concentration camps. Yeah. And when other politicians say they're going to kick everybody out of the country, people maybe don't believe them. Yeah. But maybe we should. You know, and what does now Maximilian Schell do? He calls back Irene Hoffman. Yeah. This is really rough because he does to her essentially what Han did to her Mm -hmm. in the first trial. Remember, it was brought out at the tribunal that Mr. Feldstein bought you things, candy and cigarettes. Yes. Remember that sometimes he bought you flowers? Yes, he bought me many things. That was because he was kind. He was the kindest man I ever knew. Did you sit on his lap? Yes. But there was nothing wrong or ugly about it. Did you sit on his lap? Yes, but... You sat on his lap! What else did you do? There was nothing that you were trying to say. There was nothing like that. What else did you do, Mrs. Walner? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to... Why do you not let, let me speak the truth? That's what we want, Mrs. Walner. The truth, the truth. Which leads to my favorite moment in the movie. Uh, because he is essentially cross-examining her back, yep. making her relive the whole situation. And Judy Garland... Incredible performance here. Yeah. It, exactly the same as Montgomery Cliff, 
kudos to Stanley Kramer for casting both of them in these parts. And maybe he knew what they would bring to these parts. Her, her gasp cries, her almost, you can see her reliving it yeah. again and almost reverting back to being that 16-year-old girl who can't be heard, won't, isn't allowed to speak. No one wants to believe her. And she's like, you, you stop it, you stop it. Her stutter in those moments is painful. Yeah. Heartbreaking, and at least in my favorite moment, as as Maximilian gets more and more fervently uh, attacking her more fervently, finally, uh, Ernst yawning, Burt Lancaster stands up and goes, "Herolf, stop it! Stop it! What else do you admit to, Mrs. Fowler? What else? Herolf, are we going to do this again? And it is so powerful." And yep. so moving, and it stops the train. And even Maximilian Schell Herolf is is like doesn't know what to do in the in that particular moment, no. and then f- falls back on this. My uh, the client is uh, he's he doesn't know where he's at. He's he's lost it. He goes, he's not aware. And he goes, I am aware. I am aware. And it's so powerful, man. And I love that moment because. He once again, it's Burt Lancaster. You, you you have this inherent desire to believe him and find him noble, and he has this noble moment, truly right? noble, yeah. truly noble. Yeah. And then, of course, it goes from there, and yeah. it just it lets you know that he he knows what he did. He feels guilt for what he did, and he wants to stop it in some way possible here happening well, again. And it goes on the filmmaking level of if you want this person to have a powerful moment. Don't have him speak for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, yes. if you have this guy sitting <laughs> quietly, and his presence through this whole sequence is yeah. very, and this is again where these non-motivated camera moves and these zoom lenses is like, mm-hmm. you are aware of yawning in the background right. a lot. Mm-hmm. So you are aware of his silence and the silence goes on and on and on until yeah. he breaks it and it is profound. Yeah. And he says, I want to make a statement. Yes. And Maximilian Schell is very quick on his feet mm-hmm. and he says, oh no, we're not. And, and, and Widmark is going, no, you got to let him talk you got him let him talk and again it's the choice of spencer tracy and he chooses essentially to side with maximilian shell yeah and adjourn the court yeah um for his own for yawning's own behalf right because he kind of thinks for him going like he may make a statement that may ruin him in a moment of emotion give him time i respect him maybe a night thinking about what he's going to say that I would say it's not in it's not in Yawning's behalf, and it's not in Rolf's behalf. Oh. It is on behalf of justice. Well, fair, you know, and also probably Irene Hoffman. Good point. Yeah, good point. Um, and Max goes to talk to Yawning, and the, man, that's it's great. You think I have enjoyed being defense counsel during this trial? There were things I had to do in that courtroom that made me cringe. Why did I do them? Because I want to leave the German people something. I want to leave them a shred of dignity. I want to call a halt to these proceedings. If we allow them to discredit every German like you, we lose the right to rule ourselves forever. We have to look at the future. We can't look back now. Do you want the Americans to stay here forever? Do you want that? I could show you a picture of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Thousands and thousands of burned bodies, women and children. Is that their superior morality? What an incredible argument it's to make, not Steve. not a bad argument. In 1961. What an yeah. incredible argument to make. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 then Max says, "What can I say to make you see?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "There is nothing. nothing you can say." <laughs> so Bert, you know, we talked about this <sighs> this gravitas thing. Bert's got it. He really does, man. <laughs> He's a lot, and you can tell that's the grizzled veteran talking to the rookie actor. Yeah. It's the grizzled veteran actor talking to the rookie actor. It's great. It's yeah. so great. And now we hear that the Berlin crisis is growing, and this is mm-hmm. obviously this is 1946, and mm-hmm. this is the the Berlin crisis is the beginning of the Cold War. Yes, that's really happening. And we're back with the judges, and in comes our senator, who we had met at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. And I love when he says, "I'm not trying to influence you," <laughs> yeah, as a senator would politically say. <laughs> but basically, he says, "We really need these German people to be happy." Yeah, anything that starts with "I'm not trying to influence you" is like. I'm bullshitting you now. <laughs> and we get back for Yawning's statement. Mm-hmm. It is important, not only for the tribunal to understand it, but for the whole German people. But in order to understand it, one must understand the period in which it happened. There was a fever over the land, a fever of disgrace, of indignity, of hunger, Above all, there was fear. Fear of today. Fear of tomorrow. Fear of our neighbors. And fear of ourselves. Only when you understand that can you understand what Hitler meant to us. Because he said to us, lift your heads. Be proud to be German. There are devils among us. Communists, liberals, Jews, gypsies. Once these devils will be destroyed, your misery will be destroyed. You know, you, you, you wait a whole movie to deliver a monologue. It better be a good one. Damn right. And it is. Yeah. It is. What about those of us who knew better? We who knew the words were lies and worse than lies. Why did we sit silent? Why did we take part? Because we loved our country. Difference does it make if a few political extremists lose their rights? What difference does it make if a few racial minorities lose their rights? It is only a passing phase. It is only a stage we are going through. It will be discarded sooner or later. Hitler himself will be discarded sooner or later. Is he convincing to you? Absolutely. I think in convincing in this way. I believe that he believes what he's saying. That's what I would say. He doesn't convince me to forgive him or convince me that he has no that he's absolved of his guilt, but I believe that he believes what he's saying. I I absolutely believe that he believes what he's saying. Yeah. I also like this is a big rationalization. Mm-hmm. Because he even within it he says, you know, you know, because we loved our country, what difference if a few extremists and minorities lose their rights? Yeah. You're a judge, man. You know? But he's he's not saying it to rationalize what he's doing. He's not saying like he believes this. He's saying this. Uh, so what did it matter if it would, he's saying it from a place of guilt? He knows that this was his yes. logical reasoning, and this logical reasoning is incorrect. So he's almost ridiculing himself for having believed this. And I think that's why he's saying the way he's saying it. So what did it matter if people? It's him uh, chastising the regime. And himself for going along. With yes, it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, and you know, and and then he does say this thing of it was going to be a passing phase. What is what was going to be a passing phase had become a way of life. Yeah, Whew. I'm telling you, it's the frog in the boiling water. 
slowly but surely you look around and you go, what happened to my country? Right. How did we get here? My counsel would have you believe we were not aware of the concentration camps. Not aware. Where were we? Where were we when Hitler began shrieking his hate in the Reichstag? Where were we when our neighbors were being dragged out in the middle of the night to Dachau? Where were we when every village in Germany has a railroad terminal where cattle cars were filled with children being carried off to their extermination? Where were we when they cried out in the night to us? Were we deaf, dumb, blind? I'm really going like, is this Burt Lancaster's best performance? I certainly, I think you can certainly make an argument and a case for it. Because everything else, he always relies on his, Tricks. you know, like, yeah, and yeah. his leading man stuff. Yeah. But in this, you know, and I would agree, this is everyone's maybe greatest performance. Yeah. Montgomery Cliff, Judy Garland included. Just yeah. amazing. Whereas Gene Kelly sticks out like a sore thumb in Inherit the Wind, uh, Judy Garland and Montgomery Cliff are incredibly powerful yeah. in their I parts agree. here. Yeah. Um, interesting that they're both kind of stunt casting mm-hmm. in the way that Gene uh, Kelly mm-hmm. is. And yet in this case, it just totally works. Mm-hmm. Gene Kelly was maybe, well, I don't know. His character in Inherit the Wind is not that, he's supposed to be sort of light. And, sure. You know, whereas these are heavy yeah, characters but, to come in and do. But his character isn't, it just doesn't fit. His character fits, he doesn't fit portraying it. There we go. Um, and uh, Han calls him a traitor. Yeah. Uh, and, and Traitor! Traitor! Yeah. I love that. And, He's a good actor. He really is. I know he is. Um, And he's just, I'm going to tell them the truth. And then he lays it out. Werner Lampe, an old man who profited by the property expropriation of every man he sent to a concentration camp. Friedrich Hofstetter, the good German who knew how to take orders, who sent men before him to be sterilized like so many digits. Emil Hahn, the decayed, corrupt Beckett. Obsessed by the evil within himself. And Ernst Janning. Worse than any of them. Because he knew what they were. And he went along with them. Ernst Janning. Who made his life. Excrement. Because he walked... What do you think about that, Steve? Because throughout the whole film, he's been elitist with these people. How can he feel elitist when he's done what he's done with them? I think he's still being fucking elitist. There it is. Because he says, oh, I made myself, I became excrement because of you. Right. It's like, no, you fucking did it on your own. It's self-aggrandizing. Yeah. He's right. like, oh, I'm still awesome, but I hung around with shitty people. Right. It's like, no, you were the minister of justice. You were the shitty people's boss. Exactly. You know, again, most people follow mm-hmm. what the world they're presented with. It. If he had stood up more, yeah. they wouldn't have been so shitty. Why'd you have these shitty people working for right. you? It's that kind of noble attempt at being, like, attempt to being forgiven nobly, right? Like, I, I know that I turned my life into shit. I know that I did this or this, this is, but I'm still me. You know, I like, please forgive me because I know what I did to myself. And and it's like, no, 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 no. You don't still get to be this noble person when you're trying to get yourself forgiven for something. You were terrible and you did. And you're right, Steve. He was their boss. He should have known better. 
Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about this over and over again because it's come up in a lot of films. Yeah. We're still always trying to construct the world so we look better than we want, than, you know. Very true. And so is he. Even in the moment of his most abject admission of his guilt, Mm -hmm. he's still trying to look pretty cool. Yes. You know? Yeah. And he goes and sits down and there's a long moment of them kind of getting out of his way. Mm. And Max doesn't know how to follow this. Yeah. Takes his glasses off. And and it starts off with, you know, it's a tough conundrum for an attorney. It's my duty to defend him, and yet he says he's guilty. And then he goes into this argument. And this argument says, if he, it's basically, if he's guilty, aren't we all guilty? Yes. What about the rest of the world? They did not know the intentions of the Third Reich? They did not hear the words of Hitler's broadcast all over the world? They did not read his intentions in Mein Kampf, published in every corner of the world. Where's the responsibility of the Soviet Union, who signed in 1939 the pact with Hitler, enabled him to make war? Are we now to find Russia guilty? Where's the responsibility of the world leader Winston Churchill, who said in an open letter to the London Times in 1938, 1938! Your Honor, were England to suffer national disaster, I should pray to God to send a man of the strength of mind and will of an Adolf Hitler. Are we now to find Winston Churchill guilty? Where's the responsibility of those American industrialists who helped Hitler to rebuild his armaments and profited by that rebuilding? Are we now to find the American industrialists guilty? It is essentially the same argument, and maybe this is too light to bring up in such a heavy movie, mm. that Otter makes at Animal House in the defense, <laughs> if our fraternity is guilty, then isn't the fraternity system guilty? Isn't the whole education system guilty? Right. I, you are saying the American system is guilty. Well, I'm not going to stand here and let you badmouth the United States of America. <laughs> That's right. kind of the argument he's making. It is. And you both know. of them are completely incorrect arguments to make. I mean, you know? yes. Is there a point where you can go, America knew some of the things that were going on. Mm. And, you know, there's things we can be guilty about. Sure. We were sending Jewish refugees away from our shores back to Europe mm. at this time. Yep. We should feel guilty about that. Sure. But that is not the same as being the judge right. there. We claim ignorance all the time in yeah. our... And people, when people talk about that time, we claim ignorance. You know, even though we had Japanese concentration camps, nobody fucking talks about that, do they? No. They do plays. They do to to try to bring light to it. George Takai is one of these big yeah. activists well, about he was it. There to highlight it because he right he lived in it. But and they've done occasional movies. But it's something that we don't want to confront. But we don't mind pointing out other countries' issues right. in our movies. Yeah, yeah. and it's and this guilt thing's tough. Yeah, you know, particularly when you look at big countries like the United States, there's mm-hmm. going to be stuff. Mm-hmm. And but saying, but the argument of saying, you know, it's like it's like if I um if I uh, break something and I and I turn around and go, well, you've broken stuff too. You're just as guilty as me. Right. It's like no, no, I broke that. That's my responsibility. <laughs> you can't just go, oh, we all make mistakes. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, that's not. It's a really your fault. You knew I. You know I break stuff. You Why know did I'm you leave clumsy. stuff lying around that I could break? Yeah. So we go back with the generals, and now we're really into the Berlin airlift, and and now the general um, Lawson's boss mm-hmm. kind of says, "What are you going to do tomorrow?" Yeah. And this is where the pressure is coming. Yeah. Don't he's basically saying, don't prosecute these Germans that hard, right? Because we need them. 
And Lawson is saying, I'm going to go for the limit. Mm-hmm. And the general says, who do you think you're talking to? Um, and he calls him by his name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No rank. Yeah. He calls him by his name. Well, and this is a problem. This is a problem that we've had many times since then. Mm-hmm. We had this problem in Vietnam. We certainly had this problem with Iraq, mm-hmm. which is uh, if you take the people who've been running the country out, the country falls apart. Yep. And so do you let people that have maybe done some bad stuff stay somewhat in charge of their country in order mm-hmm. to keep things going? Or do you prosecute them all to the end of the law and possibly the country's going to fall apart? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an easy no. decision at all. No. Um, Welcome to world politics. You can't solve it in 140 characters on Twitter. Yeah. Or in a three hour. Well, they've gone up to 280 characters. So I think we're going to be good. <laughs> no, they're only beta testing that. Oh, they're beta testing. Right. And only celebrities get that, apparently. Uh, by the way, the last script I wrote has a point that is completely dependent on the 140 character limit. There's a plot point. <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, fuck, shit. I'm going to have to change that. Oh, shit. Um, we're back to the summation. Hmm. Um, Lawson really struggles to give it and kind of rest without maybe going full on. Yeah. Yeah. I think he listened to the general. Yeah. A little bit. Him playing ball too as a military man he has to follow his orders as yeah. well. Yeah. And wait, that feels weird. Mm-hmm. It feels really weird. Mm-hmm. And then each of the defendants get to make a statement. Yeah. Um, oh. Han. Han's is maybe the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she says, Your honors, I do not evade the responsibility for my actions. On the contrary, I stand by them before the entire world. But I will not follow the policy of others. I will not say of our policy today that it was wrong when yesterday I say it was right. Germany was fighting for its life. Certain measures were needed to protect it from its enemies. I cannot say that I am sorry we applied those measures. We were a bulwark against Bolshevism. We were a pillar of Western culture. A bulwark and a pillar the West may yet wish to retain. And each of them kind of make their small statements. Yawning doesn't need to make a statement. No. He's good. And the poor old guy who's so flustered and flabbergasted can't even muster words. Well, and I think I think those the film of Buchenwald broken. Mm-hmm. I really think that he, I don't think he did know. Mm-hmm. To, I mean. And, and, I think he was too stupid to know. I think that's what you get is that he's. He's he's in his position, but he's one of these people that's too simplistic to explore what he's really doing. Well, and right? uh, it doesn't absolve him, of course. I'm just saying. Well, and honestly, I don't I don't see how anybody could have unless you were there. Mm. It's so unbelievable what they did. Yeah, you know. I mean, you knew that terrible, terrible things were happening. Yeah, but I don't think you could have done imagined what was actually happening how terrible um we go back with the judges and they're having a kind of legal discussion about international law and how the international law works and they can't be prosecuted for obeying their country's law and blah 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 blah. uh and tracy's just looking out the window (laughs) yeah i know and they kind of say aren't you interested um and he what his response is they say aren't you interested and what his response is how am i supposed to look the other way at the death of six million and this is the thing. Mm-hmm. Again, we go back to this thing we mentioned before of, is there, are there things so evil that the rule of law has to take second place? Yeah. And I really like the rule of law. Mm-hmm. I, that's really, really important to me. Um, how are they not responsible for their acts? Right. All right, it's time for the verdict. Just because it's politically expedient doesn't mean it's the correct thing to do. Correct. Yeah. Well, this is that's it. You just said a mouthful. <laughs> There's a lot there. Mm. 
Time for the verdict. Marlena's there. And Tracy makes a statement. Yeah. It's like a eight minute something mm-hmm. long speech. Mm-hmm. He did it in one take. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it, it, you can say what Hopkins did at the end of Amistad almost in one take rivals yeah. that too. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And he goes through the case mm-hmm. and he really cites the things that Rolf Maximilian Schell's character said that are, yes, you're right. And, and that we do share responsibility. And you said that John Yanni was a good jurist and, and you were right. And, and then he says the thing which you alluded to at the very beginning, which is Yanning's record and his fate illuminate the most shattering truth that has emerged from this trial. If he and all of the other defendants had been degraded perverts, if all of the leaders of the Third Reich had been sadistic monsters and maniacs, then these events would have no more moral significance than an earthquake or any other natural catastrophe. But this trial has shown that under a national crisis, ordinary, even able and extraordinary men can delude themselves into the commission of crimes so vast and heinous that they beggar the imagination. No one who has sat through the trial can ever forget them. Um, and he even says there are people in our own country today who speak of protection of a country's survival. Yeah. Um, yeah. A decision must be made in the life of every nation when the grasp of the enemy is at its throat. And I would add to that even when the perception that the grasp of an enemy is at its throat. Because the reality is, in America today, mm-hmm. there is no enemy at our throat. Right. And yet many people feel that there is. They create one. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes into this, you know, we have to survive at any means necessary. Survival as what? This is what, what is our nation? There's a great quote from Winston Churchill, where in the midst of the war, they're saying, we need to stop paying, giving any money to the arts. And Churchill says, well, then what are we fighting for? Right, exactly. What is, what is our nation? I wish more people understood that. And they, you can't go watch silos and weapons on stage. No. People need escape. People need lessons. People need... Meaning. To see that there are other... Meaning, yes, exactly. Well, and if America doesn't have the rule of law, if America doesn't have the re- right to freedom of speech and freedom of religion, if America doesn't have values, yeah. then we're just a place that a bunch of people live in. Right. That's exactly. not... What America is, is these values, is these ideals. Mm-hmm. Without them, we're just a rock, right. as Spencer Tracy says. We could, it's time for the sentences. Each of the guys rise. Life, life, life life yeah the general is shocked he just doesn't get it yeah he just doesn't get it that's what he says over and over again he just doesn't get it yeah Widmark is shocked mm-hmm. marlena dietrich is crying mm-hmm. maximilian shell is shocked there's a dissenting uh opinion yeah which is interesting and he just says this issue can only be decided in history mm-hmm. which is a fair point mm-hmm. um and that's the end of the case so Spencer Tracy is packing up. It's time to go. Has a little goodbye with Shatner. Mm-hmm. Who says, you owe me one because his judgment uh, caused him to lose the German girlfriend he, was had, right. he had at the time. Right. Yeah, through the whole movie. A very small plot, but a, yeah, but a good but one. It's there, but it matters because yeah. it evokes the anger that German people felt at his decision because yep. they all That's exactly right. Move That's on. a great point. Yeah. yeah. She um, represents be, the people. Because they feel that he condemned the German people. Right. Um, servant brings him some strudel, so I guess he's. Mm-hmm. I can go for some strudel now. By the way, 
It's delicious. Um, he asks about Marlene. He calls Marlena. She doesn't answer. She will not pick up. I love that shot in the darkness with yeah. the, uh, once again, the picture of him looming yeah. over her, just staring um, at the phone. And who shows up but Herr Rolf? Mm. Which is great to yeah. give this scene to Maximilian Schell. Agreed. Because he needs a moment. We yes. have to finish. We have to have a final moment with him. We have to see him outside the courtroom. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, and there's no question that Tracy admires him. Mm-hmm. He says it. Yeah. Yeah, you did incredible work in the courtroom. It was marvelous to watch you work. Yeah. Well, and that is the job of the lawyer. Yep. The lawyer's job is to... And he believed in what he was doing. Yes. Although I, there's no sense you have that he was believed in what the Nazis did. Probably not. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He does get into it a mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Um, if you can use the same tactics. And then what he says is that Yanni wishes to see him. Yeah. He also predicts that most th- that those people are all going to get off with life sentences. Mm-hmm. They're all going to get out. They're going to get out earlier than life sentences. Um, and and Tracy says to be logical is not to be right. Yes. Which okay, Tracy in Lancaster in the prison. Man, what a scene! And Lancaster gives him the records of his cases because mm-hmm. he wants to give them to someone he can trust. Once again, this vain attempt at being seen as this noble, yeah. this better than person. But in that moment, in that scene, he reduces himself to the same level as these guys who were there being tried with him and all his nobility disappears in this desperate attempt to uh, kiss his own ass and retain his vanity. Because he wants to believe that he was a good man deep yeah. down. Yeah. He still was a good man. And even that he has a relationship to Spencer Tracy's uh-huh. character. It feels yeah. a kinship. Yeah. They're yeah. both judges. They're both good judges. Right. Those people. Those millions of people. I never knew it would come to that. You must believe it. You must believe it. And then the final line. Hey, Yada. It came to that the first time you sentenced a man to death, you knew to be innocent. Such a line. Man. And you see Lancaster's face. Just deflate. Yeah. Just deflate. And that is the punishment. Yes. Because that thing that he was holding on to, yes. I became excrement because I walked with you. Mm-hmm. Here are my records. I want to mm-hmm. give them to someone who I can trust. He just destroyed that. Yes. No. Bullshit. You don't get to hide behind that anymore. He wanted the judge's respect as a fellow judge, and the judge punished him by not giving it to him. And that is more punishment than any prison time he'll ever serve. And what do we hear as Tracy leaves the prison? The music. Singing. Yep. The German singing. Mm-hmm. And the final thing we see is that text comes on the screen and says, not one person sentenced to prison time is still in jail. Right. And that was 1961. Yeah. Yawning's prediction came true. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and I, you know, I've read the history on this because obviously Ernst Young is not true. It's burst. You know, it's, it's a, based on other people. Yeah, it's yeah. based on other people. It's a culmination of people. But um, yeah, none of them serve more than five years or eight years in the, yeah. from the sentences that they were given and they were released. And a lot of them went on to live very uh, full lives in Germany until ripe old ages. Yeah. And, you know, were never, and were given pensions by the government to live on for the rest of their lives. Amazing. Amazing. Well, what do you do? I mean, what do you do to a nation? I mean, that does what Germany did in World War II. Well, it's tough because how can you judge... 
how can you, who the majority of the government that was left there had sided with the Nazis, how can you judge other people who had carried out orders of the Nazis when you yourself had done the same thing? Right, I liken it to the scene in Untouchables when uh, Costner comes in near the end and, and the judge switches juries. Because right. he's, he tells him his name's on the ledger. And he goes, well, his name's not on the ledger. And he just stares at him because the judge knows from his own guilt right. that he did do things to compromise himself for Capone. And so in that moment, he's switching the jurors out to kind of show that as right. well. And I think this is the same moment here. It's like, how can you judge other people who um, did the same things you did? So, Well, and it goes to a thing where it's like, I do think it's important for us to contemplate yeah. this story. Yeah. I don't think it's possible to come out. Anyone who comes out and says, I know the answer. Yeah. That person isn't really thinking about it. No, no, not really. It's just too hard. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts? Jesus. On Nuremberg? But first I want to say one last thing about the film. Did, did it get, what did it, what awards did it win? What did it, did you mm. do any research? Do, like, what is it nominated uh, for best it's picture? nominated for best picture. Yes. Maximilian Schell won. Yes. And he and Spencer Tracy, I believe, were both nominated for best actor. That so makes he sense. beats Spencer Tracy for best actor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't win best picture. Uh, and it wins a couple of other awards, but mm-hmm. I can't remember which wins. Okay. But it's a good film. <laughs> yes. They got Oscar nominated. Yeah. And that's important. That matters. Yeah. This is a very difficult... My final thoughts are this. This is a film that even now, as we relive it again for the cinephiles, you know, there there are episodes where we do, Steve, where we relive, relive movies and I feel their weight all over again and this is absolutely one of them. And, and I love talking about this movie. I love watching this movie. And it's a film that I absolutely recommend if you've, if you've never seen it and you're listening to us for the first time or you're listening about this movie for the first time, I can't stress to you enough how much you will learn about filmmaking watching this movie and acting watching this movie and also about the history of the world. And we must never forget, even though this happened in the 40s, seven decades ago, we see shades of it currently happening in our country now again, in our own country. And that is important. We must never forget. And that's what this film, I think, is really trying to tell us is these, this verdict by Spencer Tracy is we must never forget and we must always do what is logical, not what is necessary or what is right, not necessarily logical, right, is we have to do the right thing. And I think that's what is important to hear because the judgment was the right thing for him to do. And so we have to always be aware of it. So I think it's a great, uh, almost like a time capsule movie that you can go back and relive this whole World War II, what was going on with the Holocaust, what was going on. It's very important stuff that's happening during that time and understand the complexity of man, the complexity of what they can do to themselves in this fervent pursuit for power and also for nationalism. It's a very, it's a cautionary tale. This film, as it still echoes in importance today. Wow, it, it, it's it's interesting that you said never forget because yeah. the the phrase that of course was going through my mind throughout watching this movie is never again. Yeah, and never again. When I was a little kid, I was raised with that never again, and mm-hmm. it's a thing that Jews have said since the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Never again. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the slogan of the Anti Defamation League. It's written on Yad Vashem the Holocaust Museum in Israel, mm-hmm. never again. And there's something that happened about a year ago that made me think about this in a different way, which was, you know, uh, on Facebook, I have lots of 
friends, family members, mm -hmm. friends that I grew up with, parents of friends that I grew up with who are Jewish. Mm -hmm. And um, as you, everyone knows from Facebook, we don't all share the same worldview. Right. And I remember there's a, you know, International Holocaust Memorial Day. And on that day, a lot of Jews that I knew were posting things remembering the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And you'd see these words never again quite a bit. And there's one woman in particular um, who posted a bunch of very powerful things about the Holocaust and, and wrote those words never again under, under them. And then right after that, the next post was about uh, Sharia law taking over the United States. Mm -hmm. And the next post was about we have to expel all Muslims. They're evil people. They're bent on destroy us. They're, they're sex deviants. Mm -hmm. They're all these things. They're killers. And I couldn't reconcile that. Like, how could you post that in one line? And in the next sentence, the same day, the same moment, mm -hmm. post this hateful thing towards Muslims. And what I realized, it took me a long time. I really thought about it. And what I realized was that what she meant by never again and what I mean is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Is that what I mean or what I was raised to believe is that the idea is never again should this happen to anyone. Yes. And what she means is never again should it happen to us. Yeah. And even though it's only two words that are different, us to anyone, the meaning is almost entirely the opposite. Yeah. Because never again should this happen to us is based on fear. Yeah. And it's based on and fear and pride. The, the, the idea that I am important and that other people are trying to destroy me is exactly the idea that gave Hitler power. Yeah. And it frightened me to read this, to think this about this person who I've known all my life. Mm. And, and what I realized is that never again isn't just about keeping the Jews from getting killed, although that's part of it. Mm -hmm. It means turning on your perception to the world and looking out for injustice where it happens anywhere. So it means yeah. looking to the Armenian Holocaust and saying never again. Right. It means looking to Somalia and saying never again, Darfur and saying never again. It means looking today to Myanmar, to Syria and saying never again. And it means turning that lens of attention onto yourself mm -hmm. and looking at the, the extermination of Native Americans and saying never again. Right. And slavery and saying never again. And Jim Crow and saying never again. And the internment of Japanese Americans mm -hmm. in World War II and saying never again. And it means looking today at Muslims and immigrants because that lens of fear has been put on them and today saying never again. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerfully said, Steve. Absolutely. Okay. So that's what we think of Judgment of Nuremberg. And normally we give you some advertising and talk about Facebook pages and Twitter accounts and iTunes. And I don't want to do that today because I think we've talked about that something that's really important. And let's just leave it with that. Okay. Good with you, John? Yeah. That works for me. All right. So that's it for this week. We're going to see you next time on The Cinephiles. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.